Welcome to episode 123 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name's Trent. This here's Jason. What do you know? I know nothing. You know nothing? I know nothing, and I like it that way. Ignorance well, is bliss. Yeah, that's true. It's a good thing, I guess. There you go. A blissful thing. It's what's kept me going. <laughs> well, you know what else is good? What? Is we've got Andy Papadopoulos from Archon. That is good. Um, what was it I said, told you the other day, that if you put a radar gun to his fingers while he's playing guitar, he would get a speeding ticket. And it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, this guy can fucking play. Yeah. I mean, uh, so this is going to be a good one. Yeah, this is a pretty long one. So we're going to get into it quicker than normal. But yeah. Just uh, throw in our standard stuff here. Well, before we get into that, I'll say I saw Alice Cooper the other day. Nice. It's been, hadn't been that long since I saw him for the first time, actually, which was like a year, yeah. year and a half ago. And he was one of those guys that always, I've loved my whole life, but always eluded me. You know, like I was out of town or it conflicted with something else. The one time I even lost my hard tickets and didn't have printable tickets to replace. And Yikes. But then I saw him front row when I finally saw him, so I thought, I'm never going to see him again just so this can live as that moment forever. You're only, uh... But our good friend Josh had two tickets, offered me one, so I'm not going to turn down no. a free ticket to no, see Oscar. Why, I mean, why would you do that? Yeah. And as you know and as you would expect, it was great. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, he, I missed the first couple songs, got in there a little late, but it was the same kind of set list as last time I saw outside of that last one he was doing the whole, I forgot what he kind of call it but it was like all my f heroes or my friends are dead you know kind of thing yeah. and he was playing the covers of all the guys that kind of came up with him in the 60s and yeah. early 70s but he didn't do any of that this time so it was all thankfully all straight alice cooper so if you've never seen that guy it's a spectacle and it's a great one it's not like some of these guys where they're putting on a spectacle you know i'm not going to mention any names motley crew and the the vocals aren't there this has it all <laughs> Music and great, great performance and a great spectacle. And Alice Cooper is probably like 20 years older than Vince Neil. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I've never seen That's Alice true. Cooper. Yeah, you have. Josh could have offered me the free ticket, but he hates me, so whatever. Yeah. You know? He talked about that. He's like, I was going to give this to Jason, but I hate him. I, I don't All doubt right. that. Cool. I don't doubt that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not even, I'm not even worried because I know he's not listening. So it's all good. <laughs> hey, I know he listened to Gene Simmons. He quoted well, something from it. So good. That's one. <laughs> right. Well, if this is your first time listening, thethroneunderground.com is our website. We're on all the social medias: Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Get on YouTube. Subscribe. All this stuff goes up there. It also goes up on SoundCloud. And you can also listen to us every Monday night on 102.7 WSNR. Just go to their website, 1027WSNR.com. You can listen to it live there. You can also download, excuse me, download the app. Listen to it there every Monday night, 7 p.m. Central. Definitely. Very glad to be a part of that. Yes. So, moving along, I mentioned YouTube. One of the things we get into here in a bit with with Andy, is a, there's a lot of talk about Van Halen, and we've got a show called Every Album in a Row. We listen on our own time to a band's entire catalog, first song to the very last song, every single song in chronological order, and then we talk about it. And 
We did that recently with Van Halen. We've done it with Pantera, Guns N' Roses, Megadeth, Metallica, Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm getting old saying this, but we've got Motley Crue coming because it's already been recorded. It's in the can. Yeah. Kiss will be soon enough. I actually started it finally. Yes. I'm proud I, of you. Proud of you. That's <laughs> right. great. Yeah. I, I actually am looking forward to doing that one. That's going to be fun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was an undertaking, I'm sure, for you. I'm, it was. I'm but about to get into it myself. I've got a lot to say. <laughs> Good deal. Well, like I mentioned earlier, this is a long one with Andy. And he came over to the house. Like, he actually drove here from Oklahoma City, from Edmond. Yeah, very, very grateful. That was very awesome. Yeah. And so, since he drove here, we just hung out all evening. And literally, we talked for, was it about five hours? Almost five hours. Yeah. And I mean, I've got... Most of it recorded. There's yeah. probably part at the end that didn't, but obviously we're not going to give you a full five hours here. <laughs> I don't know if I can even upload that a single file on SoundCloud that big. But <laughs> so maybe later on down the line, you know, we could just throw in more because there's a couple hours here of stuff that you're never going to hear. Yeah. But this is a good, well over two hour conversation that, like Jason mentioned, this guy's a phenomenal guitarist and he gets into some good. Uh, What's the word? Technical stuff with guitars. Yeah. Of course, you know, players like Eddie and Dimebag and Dave Mustaine and Scotty Ian, but also, and it just talks about pedals and the intricacies of all that kind of stuff. Amps. Whatever. Which I find interesting. Yeah. You know, but that's me. But that, yeah, this whole thing is, you know, we talked about it after the fact. It was five hours, but it didn't feel like five hours because no. everything you said was interesting, you know, and it's all stuff we dig. <clears throat> We're into the same kind of music. Yeah. And, you know, you th you throw you throw some whiskey and some beer here in there, you know. Right. It's fun. But, you know, this is a... Learned all kinds of stuff. Heard some great stories. Uh, you know, Andy and his band Archon are fucking amazing. Um, I, I think probably Andy is probably one of the reasons anybody in Oklahoma City or that area knows who we are. You That's know, true. He, he, he's been a big supporter. He's since been a big supporter. He's introduced us to a ton of people uh, there at the other end of the turnpike, and we're very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, let's play one of their songs before we get yes. into this. They've got a brand new song. They're working on new music. He's going to talk about that here in a bit. But this is actually not even a final version, but it still sounds great. This is called The Game.
Archon right there. I don't know. That could be the first time anyone's heard that. I don't yeah. know. He didn't mention, but I think I think it might be. It's quite a scorcher. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, they're badass and you gotta see these guys live. They're just as intense and badass live. Just a great band. It's one of my you know I feel like a broken record when I say that about other bands, but it's one of my favorite bands that I've discovered since we started doing this podcast. Yeah, for sure. You know, I can't even remember the first time we saw him, but we've seen him now on several shows. Opening for bands in Oklahoma City, and then of course they've played here since then as well. And speaking of, they're opening for Superjoint this Saturday. Yes. And Superjoint, this tour, the Gears of Application tour is coming back around this way. We saw it in Fayetteville, Arkansas back in January, and it's rolling through Oklahoma City May 13th this coming Saturday. So if you're anywhere in this area, it's definitely worth a drive. Because Superjoint's headlining this thing with Battlecross and Childbite. Yes. On tour with them. And then we've got Archon, Coma Trip, and Smoke Offering rounding this thing out. I know. That's gonna, what a night that's going to be. Yeah. You know, people don't miss it. Uh, you know, hit up Andy for tickets if you're in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, hit up Kyle Williams, the Smoke Offering, for tickets if you're in the Tulsa area. And if you can't find them on Facebook or whatever... Let us know, and we will put you in touch. There you go. You just got to go. That's just the bottom line. This is such a strong bill. You're going to love it. Yeah, I mean, you can't... If you like metal, you know, there's something for everybody here, but just all these bands put on great live shows. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about Battlecross. 
but we'll talk more about that, yeah. you know, after the fact. Exactly. If you go, if you're, if you say you're a metalhead and you go to the show and you're like, eh, I don't know, then you really don't have a heart or a pulse <laughs> right. or a brain and you just need to go away forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, once again, find us on YouTube, subscribe at The Thunder Underground, like us on Facebook, backslash The Thunder Underground. Get on there and follow Archon as well. Let's just get into this. This is Andy from Archon. in there the first thing that i noticed was the place was clean mm-hmm. yeah that, and then i went to the bathroom because i drove up here from the city mm-hmm. so i was like i gotta pee and i walked right in the bathroom it was like man this is clean yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you're not used to it. No. right used to go in there and go man i gotta go find a walmart or something i can go to the bathroom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 89th Street. You ever been? You guys been 89th Street collector? I still haven't been to that. Oh my god! I've heard horror stories. Yeah, that is a literal shit hole. (laughs) The conservatory, right? Yeah, the old conservatory. Yeah, that's a cool place for shows. Well, you don't have to use a bathroom (laughs) (laughs) because you you walk in there and go, "Oh, I'm going, I'm going out to the woods back out here or something." Yeah, this ain't. That's how the King's Barn was back in the day before they expanded. You know, I mean, just this. I have still not got to play there. Probably, you know, you never know. But uh, my buddies from you guys ever heard of Nick Nose? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They got to play there in I don't know a month or so ago. Yeah, they had that with them and Taddy Porter and Skytown and all that. Yeah. Um, that's who I record with the the guitar player for Nick Nose, Nick Sigmund. He's got a studio in the city. Okay. And uh, his drummer, uh, Jared, helps a lot there. And that's um, so what we've been doing most of our recording at. Nice. nice. So what's really? the status? Since you brought that up, what's the status on the new stuff you guys are doing? De Niro. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> we go in there with these, yeah, we're going to do this, 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 and this. You know, and that's what's one of the cool things about recording with guys like Nick is they get involved. You know, a lot of, a lot of these guys just hit record and go and it is what it is. And they, you know, they're rush, 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 you know, you end up with what you get, end up. But so he's like a real producer type, right? He, yeah. He get, well, he gets, he, he gets involved on, you know, I guess a lot like a producer. I wouldn't really call him a producer, but they get involved and they, you know, they, they, uh, They'll start coming up with ideas, and the next thing you know, it's like, "All right, let's start this all over and do it this way." And mm-hmm. then the next, yeah, and then you know, you go in there with a thousand dollars to do everything, you end up getting twenty five percent done, and no more money. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing that for a while. We've got, I want to say, four, five, six, probably about seven songs recorded. We're gonna wait till after this show with the. Uh, Super joint. Spend another full day in there and finish up. Uh, just got the drums, the drum track 
for the archon. We're going to re-record the archon and add it to the thing. So it's going to be like an EP or a full-on album? I don't know what the definition means. You know, I always thought, and I don't know why I had got this in my head. I always thought like an EP was three songs. Mm-hmm. And now you see like five. And now you like see that. EPs with five, seven songs, and you see albums with fourteen songs or eight yeah. songs. And it's... <clears throat> I always thought an EP was five songs. I thought that five. was a good round number for an EP. Well, I think we're going to have seven on this thing. But anymore, I mean, you know, it's a super lot of EP. Yeah, well, it's songs. super. A lot of people just a super lot of, duper. If you do eight <laughs> songs, it's super duper. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, so much of this stuff is digital, anyways. It's just like, what do you just call it a record? I don't know. You know, it's just, what do you do? You know? Yeah, a lot of these terms are from years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I hear people still say, "Well, we're gonna you know put it on tape," well, yeah, right. <laughs> the tape it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, digital's made it nice, but also it's it's made it. I hear a lot of people say, "Well, it, digital, it's just all easy now." I don't think so. I think it's actually harder mm-hmm. because now you have the ability to edit stuff at such a minute level that you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the biggest thing is, you know, back in the day, you didn't see a lot of bands using click tracks. Just went in there and played it, you know. Um, a lot of them would play it live, but you know, I, you know, I guess a lot of the harder bands would they would record, you know, usually record the drums with like a scratch track guitar, somebody in the control room playing guitar. Which I guess a lot of that's still done, but um, now everything's so just dominated by the click track, and that's what separates the men from the boys in the studio nowadays. Mm-hmm. Because if you want that high level of editing, it's all done to a click. I don't know what kind of software you guys used to do your editing on this, but is, is there a timeline on top? Yeah. Um, what yeah, software are you using? It's Audacity. Okay, okay. Well. I'm, I just kind of learned it as I went. <laughs> sure, well, yeah. yeah, that's what we all do. Um, unless you go to school for it. But yeah. um, there's a timeline on top, and the click track is the beats per minute, and it corresponds with the timeline on top. And so when they edit everything, everything gets edited to that timeline. Okay. So you have the ability to quantize, you know, put everything in time if something's a little off. But what happens is, is instead of being able to electronically just move stuff, if it's all analog with no click, then they're having to do a lot of, you know, pasting, copying and pasting and it's a lot more labor intensive. So especially with guys like us, when you don't have a record label paying tens of thousands of dollars for you to be in the studio, you don't have the luxury of all that time. So you really got to get everything you can get done as quick as you can get it done. You know, otherwise you end up dragging it out for months and months and years getting your album done because you're yeah. paying for it. Yeah. And, yeah, it, totally different. Totally different. I've seen some, uh, recently seen some people do it with uh, no click. Mm-hmm. Take them all day to do one song. Yeah. Because they've got to get it as yeah. perfect as they can get it to where, mm-hmm. you know, if you just go into the studio and you do roughly four takes 
from each instrument on each song. Then you just walk out the door and the engineer sits down and starts, okay, on this take, that was good. That take, that was good. We can stick that together. And, you know, like, and. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I see where that makes it a lot harder when before you could just hit record and go. Yeah, but then you end up with a song, you know, varying from start to end (laughs) up to 30, 40 beats per minute without even realizing it. (laughs) And without actually sitting down. You know, a lot of times, like with the Archon, all the stuff that we recorded, um, that was all live without a, the demo stuff that we got, that's all live without, without a uh, click track. When I sent him the demo, I sent the guy to program the drums for us mm-hmm. on there, to do all the drums for us, ended up with two different times, um, two different tempos. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's not supposed to be that way. Well, if you listen to it, and I did, I went back and listened to it, and it's like, that's because we weren't using the click. It started (laughs) off a lot slower, then all of a sudden, bam, took off. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even realize that, but then you you, yeah, when you go, you stick it in a computer, and it starts, you start looking at tempos, it's like, whoa, we were way out, 25, 30 beats per minute slower on the beginning than we were when we started, when we went into the song, it's all supposed to be the same. Yeah. I don't know if that's boring to you guys or what. No, I mean, I, I've, I've been there. It's been a while, but yeah, I totally what, what, what did you do? Oh, I just played in a band around here. God, probably, what, 15 years ago or so. What did you play? Uh, I played guitar. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. I try to play guitar. Anyway. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what we all do, yeah. Yep. You know. Try to do something. Yep, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Well, when you guys are going in the studio, to, I mean, obviously you got this stuff already written. Is this you a primary writer? Or do you guys all do this together? Or how do you how do you guys handle that end of it? Yes and no. Um, normally, what I do is I I come up with a basic foundation, and um, and I'm guessing primarily it's because you know the other guys are so busy in their you know work and families that. They don't have a lot of time just to sit and mess around unless they're at practice. We don't normally get a lot of time to just sit and write when we're at practice because you know we we don't we don't have the luxury like a lot of bands you know practice two three times a week. We're lucky to get three practices in a month. You know, so when we get in the room and we're rehearsing, it's get these songs tight so we can play them live. Yeah. So, um, I end up writing most of the stuff. Then what we do is a lot of input. We'll start playing it. You know, we'll just play it, play it. Uh, the drummer, Dave, he puts a lot of input on, hey, let's do it. This, he, he's got a lot, he's got his hand a lot in uh, arrangements. And then, once you start wanting to put lyrics to it, it all changes again. Because the, the phrasing's got to match what it is you're doing, and then sometimes we end up adding stuff so that lyrics will fit, or taking away, or just kind of a building process. Of we, I guess we don't really just sit down and write the song. We start off with, all right, here's a general idea. Let's just start playing and working with it, and then usually after you know thirty, forty times of playing it you start ending up with this shape of something that's oh we can fine tune this now 
of you and your brother work together before Archon or played together? Never in a band together. Okay. Um, he was uh, the lead guitarist in a band called Spun out of Oklahoma City for man, 13, 14 years. And um, you know, they were you know one of the bigger local bands around there. Um, you guys heard of, I'm sure you heard of Left to Die. Yeah. Well, Spun was kind of the Left to Die you know, Spun was to the scene back then, kind of what I think Left to Die is now. I mean, I, although Left to Die has been around a long time, Spun was kind of like the go-to, you know, one of the top go-to bands for shows and stuff like that. Um, Chasing Jenny used their drummer, Darren. Do you see the guy with the long white blonde hair? Yeah. yeah. That was the old drummer for Spun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. He, he played with them for a little while. Um, but no, um, other than just growing up together and, uh, you know, we were younger, we, you know, play around together with music and whatnot, but never were in a band. So is this kind of the right time now? Yeah, well, it happened like about three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, The intention was really to put a band like Archon together, it wasn't what the intention was. Um, we just wanted to, a couple of us just wanted to jam. And um, we had, uh, you know, Chris, the bass player. He's really not a bass player, a guitar player, um, which you see a lot of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, he had been playing in the scene for you know, 25 plus years. And, uh, I believe that band, that bigger band that he was in was Dead Man's Bluff. Mm-hmm. And um, then another buddy of mine, Travis Stewart, he was uh, one of the lead guitar players for a band called Six Years Dead. You guys ever heard of them? I think I've heard of them. They were around for a long time. Uh, you know, back and forth. Uh, now, some of those members went on to start... Um, Long Pig. Oh, okay. And some of them are, went on to start a band called uh, Shovel Tusk. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that name. And um, uh, well, both of them were really good. Shovel Tusk just kind of went through, I guess they kind of rearranged some stuff. I don't know if they're still going to use that name or whatnot, but they ended up, uh, they're doing a different project right now, which is still sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh had a kind of a unique sound to him, yeah. but um, last I heard, the old bass player for for Greater Than Zero, Lincoln Grubbs. You guys know him. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a funky bass player, kind of like a cross between Les, you know, you know Les Claypool and uh, like Tool, mm-hmm. yeah. with a slap, you know, funky type deal, yeah. and they're doing some thrashy stuff along with it. It's kind of yeah. It's going to be unique. I'm kind of anxious to hear what, you know, <laughs> what it sounds like. It's, it's fun watching that guy play bass. But uh, Anyway, the uh, the Archon thing, Travis Stewart, was uh, me and him got together and we started working up some covers and we had an opportunity to play a uh, 
benefit was for Wounded Warriors Project. So we put a show together just for them, and um, it was all covers, not one original. And we ended up playing like Dio and Slayer and Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth. We did, we did I want to say, probably close to an hour set of just covers. And um, it worked really well. We ended up using like a couple of singers. And uh, Mike Standridge, I don't know if you guys have heard that name, from Subsanity. Um, he sang a bunch of the songs. And my brother said, well, hey, if you guys do some Slayer stuff, I want to try to sing it. <laughs> so I think we did Mandatory Suicide and... Um, Oh, what was uh, War Ensemble? So he sang both of those, and when we got together to practice, he started singing it. And it was like, well, where the hell did you learn how to sing like that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it. I'm his brother. It's like, where the hell did that shit come from? Oh, man. You know? And uh, he's like, well, I used to do this when I was singing backup vocals, and I'm like, yeah, let's just keep doing some of this stuff. And, and and after that show went over really well, made the most money we made as a band at one time than we have since. <laughs> oh, I kidding you. I think they paid us 800 bucks. Damn. Yeah, for playing an <clears throat> hour of covers. But we were on there with Shotgun Rebellion as well. You guys know them, right? Yeah, heard that name. Um, saw them here opening for someone once. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. Do what? I saw him here in Tulsa one time, I think. Well, they just played with Nashville Pussy. Wasn't that one? At the Diamond. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. A couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's part of where I saw that name. They are like a southern heavy metal type. Yeah. Um, they're really, really, really dang good. Um, they just got back together. I've been, I've been, they haven't been together for about, about two years. Mm. It's the last big show they did. They opened up. They were direct support for Ted Nugent. It was just them and Ted Nugent at the Diamond a few years back. Nice, nice. And uh, um, they went through a couple of guitar players. Uh, Randy, um, oh, what's his last name? Guy used to play with Texas Hippie Coalition. Oh, Cooper. Cooper. Cooper, yeah. Randy Cooper went in there and did some studio work with them and then um, ended up with Wes. The other guitar player from Texas Hippie Coalition. <laughs> the guy, I think, who replaced Randy Cooper. And um, they just put it all back together. And, you know, it sounds really good. Those You would like them. Yeah. Uh, Rick Davis, the singer, guitar guitarist, the singer. We're really good friends. We talk a lot. And um, you'd like talking with him. Mm. Really good guy. Really good music. They're pros. They really are. They they got their shit together. They just like all the other bands around. It's hard to hold it together because of the money. There's just no money in this yeah. stuff. And, I mean, unless you got money to support it, unless yeah. you're funding it, there ain't no money in it. Yeah, you gotta love it. You have to. Yeah. It, it's 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 uh. Well, it's the same thing with a lot of the promoters. You know, I hear those guys get a lot of shit. 
you know, especially from bands that just don't know any better or that never really take the time to figure out what's going on on the other side. There's this, you know, opinion that all these promoters are making all this money and they're not. Right. <laughs> they're really not. They got to love it as much, if not more, than the bands do. Yeah. Or it's just not working. Yeah. What? Look, you know, how much money you guys are doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just there's no money in this. Corp- the corporations have just taken it over and that's it. Unless you're on that level, there's nothing. Everything else out there is just you're paying out of pocket to do it. That's right. Well, what about support shows? You guys have supported a lot of good bands. You got Superjoint coming up. Have, have all these shows been good experiences for you? That's why of- we do it, really. Um, you know, we're all older guys. And um, we all have careers. So, you know, unless we win the lottery, uh the music lottery or the, the state lottery, yeah. either one. <laughs> you know, there's not enough. There's not enough money in it for us all to quit our jobs to go do this full yeah. time. So you know, we all got to work to make enough money to go play music. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've seen that a lot. Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, you know, I don't want to mention. I'm not going to mention names, but you know. I've, it, Things have been thrown around here and there over the years about, you know, getting with this band, going on tour and whatnot. And, you know, if they, you know, if you took what the whole band made on some of these things, and I'm talking some bigger acts, yeah. you know, the people you wouldn't think, you know, yeah, Metal Church, for example, you would think those guys would be rolling in it. No, they're not. No. They're, 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 <laughs> they're not making much money at all. And, uh, you know, bigger, you know, bigger bands like, uh, well, even like Sepultura and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not going to just like throw figures out, but it's just, if you've got a decent job making 60, 70 plus thousand dollars a year by yourself, you're doing way better than most of those guys. Way better. Yeah. Of course, they get a cool life, you know, they get to ride around on buses and, you know, and, <laughs> Uh, but you know that gets old after a while too. But mm-hmm. but uh, just not a lot of money in it. Um, but we were getting back to like the promoters. They got to you know I can't count how many times I've seen those guys have to reach in their own pocket to to uh, settle up for the night. Wow, yeah, that happens a lot. It's yeah. kind of like stock market, you know. It, if you go into promoting like a day trader, you're going to lose your ass. You just got to look at it like, uh, you know, you got to look at it long term. Throughout the whole year, am I in the black or am I in the red? Hopefully you're in the black because you're going to lose money on some shows. You're going to make money on others. There's no going to make money off of every show. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and the way it's geared right now, you have to have decent local support to make the shows work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys gripe about this or that or whatnot, but you were saying opening up for the national acts, that's kind of the niche that we fell into. That's what we wanted to do. But part of your job of doing that is to get people there. Otherwise they can't have the national acts because there is no sponsorship. There's no, you know, um, 
it's it's very very difficult and unless some of these acts are big enough to where they have a lot of uh, you know um, marketing money and stuff people just don't know about it yeah and that you know I think that's the biggest issue in the scene in general is that um, communication people knowing you know Facebook used to be decent it's it, it's not anymore you cannot rely on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I used to get notifications on Friday night. I'd just pull it up. Where do I want to go? There's 50 of them. Now I'm lucky to get two or three. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. You know, it used to be, because I, you know, I guess Facebook is wanting to charge, you, you know, you got to pay for ads so they'll actually reach people. And yeah. Stuff now, but, yeah. Um, used to be able to invite as many people as you want. Now you invite a, a couple hundred and you're cut off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you're, we're strangled, you know. Um, you can't get on the radio. I've got friends that work on the radio; they can't put me on there. Yeah. I'd have to fork out big bucks to get on there. You know, it's all corporate owned stuff. Yeah. And so, but I think you you know you guys are in a market where I hope that it's starting to actually fill a void. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> you know. Uh, Putting a focus on, you know, local and regional is uh, not too many are doing it. So, you know, I'm glad that we do that. I'm proud that we do that. Well, and I see you guys down in Oklahoma City a lot. Yeah. For the last couple of years, or at least it's been about that, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I run into you guys a lot. Um, And that's kind of cool. Because for some reason, and I don't know what I, I do, kind of know what it is from the from the venue's point of view and from the promoter's point of view. I get it, and that's probably I probably just answered my own question. But there's Tulsa and Oklahoma City; they might as well be a million miles apart because I don't know these guys, and these guys don't know you know up here. Um, I've been doing it for years. Hold on, I know you guys. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> you know, um, smoke offering. You know, I don't know those guys personally. We played with them a couple times. R- really good band. Yeah. Um, oh, what's the what's the singer's name? Kyle. Kyle Williams. Kyle Williams. Yeah. Don't know him personally. I don't think I've ever said more than ten words to him. You know, when we when we get around each other at these shows, it's busy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, yeah. you're so preoccupied with getting yeah. everything. You know in line but you know one heck of a vocalist I think the first time I saw him man I want to say it was at the farmer's market mm-hmm. wearing yeah, a mask was, the whole yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah he was on that Soulfly show yeah that that, that had to have been the, and, yeah. and I was like wow these guys are these guys are good we, we live an hour apart from each other mm-hmm. never have seen each other it's just yeah. crazy how that doesn't there's no yeah. overlap but you get a promoter in Oklahoma City and this goes vice versa. You may have a really good band here in Tulsa that has a decent following. That when they put on a show here, there's good sh- people show up. And the show does well. But now all of a sudden, you take them and you put them that same band the next week in Oklahoma City. No one knows who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about, no one's showing up. Well, that kills the promoter. No one shows up. He didn't make money. He's paying out of pocket. 
It's vice versa. You know, I'm here here in Tulsa. They don't want Archon to come up here. Ain't no one going to come see us. They don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've never heard us. Why am I going to book you guys to come up here? And you guys may be great. That's irrelevant because without people showing up, it don't matter how damn good you are. Yeah. You could be total shit and bring 60, 70 people. They'll book you. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care how bad you suck. <laughs> you just brought 50 people in the door. Hey, you're hired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get that question. Why? How does yeah. that band do it? They suck. That band brings people. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how bad they suck. <clears throat> Don't care if the guy started playing guitar three months ago. They're bringing fifty people, hundred people in. Guess what? They're booked. You're not seeing. Yeah, <laughs> they're putting butts in the seats, getting people at the bar. That's what it's about. <laughs> yep. And it, and it doesn't. Uh, you know, I uh, especially with a lot of the younger musicians that I've talked to, they get frustrated because well, how did that band get it? We're we're better than they are. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But totally irrelevant. <laughs> Quality. Is at, does not come into the equation. How many people can you get here? Yeah. You can do that, and yet I've seen some really good bands um, that just don't like getting into the marketing side of stuff. It's tough, dude. It, it really is. Yeah. It is tough. I'm selling tickets for Superjoint. That's tough. You know, and in order to keep doing this, I've got to, you know, consistently... Be able to do, they don't, you know, yeah, everyone says, oh, our crown's great. Yeah, you guys are awesome. We show up to one show without our, with, without bringing people, one of the people are going to start reevaluating. Yeah. You know, yeah, we like your music, but <laughs> we got to pay the bills here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I can kind of see, you know, answering my own question about, you know, Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Well, these promoters don't want to. They don't want to um, take that chance because yeah. a lot of these guys are are going, you know, month to month sometimes on their on their rent and their bills. Like, you know, these guys are paying electric bills, water bills, are paying their help, yeah, rent. In the summer, they're having to cool the place. Yeah, there was one time I remember I showed up to the Chameleon. You know, you guys remember that yeah. place? Yeah, and. Um, there's a sign on the door from the city of Oklahoma City. The water had been shut off, and it showed on there that for past due, like six thousand some odd dollars for water. I mean, that's a lot of damn money yeah. for water over six grand. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, shit. Come to find out, there was a water leak, and you know, and there was you know a dispute. I guess was it on the city side? Was it on their side? You know, whatever. That thing had been running and running and running and and but still, it's what these guys have to. Yeah. So now I got to pay six grand to keep the water on. I got all these bands coming in, all these fans coming in. They're gonna want to use the bathroom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, you get into it. a lot of people don't little they don't think about that stuff. And I think you know, until uh, you get older. I didn't think about that shit years ago when I was playing. It was like, yeah, just in my mind, I thought all these guys had all the money. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. falling out of their ass. So let me get some of it. Wrong. You'll find very quickly that a lot of these venue owners have full-time jobs themselves. They're doing oh, that yeah. shit part-time. Yep. It, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, um, you know, you're talking about, there. there's guys in like, 
big big bands that still have day jobs. You know, I mean, I mean, to me, that's just. You know, and I gotta wonder: Was it always like that? You know, or am I just now that I'm like grown up a little bit more? Do, is it? You know, am I just realizing that it's crazy? You know. Well, you guys interviewed Anvil not too yeah. long ago. Talk about some really cool guys. Yeah. Um, got really drunk in that office. <laughs> Lips was looking at me crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because he was sober, you know, I got to give it. He was, you know, he was sober, and, and I'm not going to mention other names because I'll protect the guilty. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there was a couple of us in that office, and there was a bottle of Crown Apple. You guys saw me a little later. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I was not in my. I was a little, <laughs> yeah, little drunk, um, but. And one of the guys, you know, that red guitar that Lips plays? Yeah. Uh, he's, that little office, you know, it's probably, you, you, did you go in that office at all? Uh, I you saw, know? we could see inside of it. Yeah, there's nothing. Tiny, it's just yeah. tiny. And he's got his little v, red V leaning up right there. And uh, one of the other guys, which we won't mention their names, he's drunk. He turns around, hits that guitar. That guitar goes, Oh, no. But I got cat-like reflexes. <laughs> I caught the thing and looked at lips, and his eyes were like, oh, oh my God, what are you guys doing? <laughs> so we left the office. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is our cue to get the hell out of this office. These guys are trying to... <laughs> yeah, they're trying to prepare. Yeah, oh, the, the, but the, uh, anyway... I, I'm just assuming that that Anvil movie's got some, you know, truth behind it. You know, those guys are... <laughs> that guy was like pushing a food cart and shit, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's delivering food or I, something. I mean, I know that, you know, you know, in the wake of that movie, that they, they did pretty good. But that's been, what, 10 years ago now or something, right? Yeah, almost. Probably 17 years ago. So I, you know, I don't know if they're still riding that wave or if it's died down. But I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, he could still he could still be back pushing that food cart when they're back in Canada. You never know. And I'm not saying you guys got to put this in the interview. And think about it. How much money do you have to have to live each year, just to live the way you're living? Now think about. Dividing that up by three or four people in a band, mm-hmm. how much money you actually have to make. Yeah. Now, you're only getting a portion of that. Yeah. Okay. Because when these record labels get involved, they're the ones that they're making 90 plus percent of all the damn profit. Exactly. Um, there was an interview with uh, Van Halen, and they were talking a lot about this. Did you guys ever watch any of those interviews? Like recently, well, or, when they were when they got, it was it was Dave and Alex and Eddie and Wolfgang. Okay, they had a couple of different interviews that they did after they decided to get back. Is before I guess they released a different kind of truth, or might mm-hmm. might be right. It was right around that time. Yeah, and they were they were alluding to a lot of the stuff that they were going through, you know, 
And I think that they were just getting a few cents off each album. Wow. They sold on Van Halen 1. They came in after their world tour, successful world tour. And Ted Templeman was the the guy behind all that back then. And I believe it was him that told them, all right, you sold over a million albums, badass world tour, you owe us a million dollars. Wow. Have you guys heard that? That story. Uh, I've heard uh, it with other bands. Yeah, with other bands. No, this yeah. is yeah. This was a uh, and and so it was Alex Van Halen said I stood up and walked over there, put my hands on his desk and said, "So let me get this straight. We sold a million albums, did a successful world tour. We owe you a million. So if we would have sold ten million albums, would we owe you ten million dollars? You know, seriously. I mean, you think about what were albums going for back then? Five, six yeah. bucks a pop, selling yeah. a million. That's, that's five, insane. six million dollars worth. You know, I, I've heard that with a ton of bands. Like their deal is, they get like five cents on the dollar or something. It's some stupid it's just number. Like crazy. I mean, I, I can't. What's well, and it, and it broke down. Um, Eddie actually went into a detail, and I don't remember all all the details of the details that he gave. <laughs> um, but used to they they did X amount of albums per box. Mm-hmm. So they would automatically assume that out of all the albums in this box, that a couple of them were going to break. So they factored that in to the percentage that you got. So even though, let's say there was 100 albums in this deal, they're going to assume that 10 of them are going to break. So they're not even going to pay you for those 10. So your percentage actually comes off the 90 that's left over. Yeah. So it comes up with some fractional number. It's kind of a weird deal. And uh, and they, <laughs> I guess they still do that. I don't know if they're... I'm, I'm assuming they still use that formula today, even though they're not pressing albums and you know putting them in boxes and shipping them by truck. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of a weird... God, they'll, they'll take it where they can, won't they? Yeah, and so a lot of people are like, well... Why are they doing all these covers? And man, that was really quick going right into Van Halen 2. Well, the reason was because they were in debt. Yeah. It's like, we can't. I think they took like two weeks off and then went straight back into the studio, recorded Van Halen 2, got right back on the road. <laughs> and it's like, crap, we don't have enough material. All right, I guess we'll do pretty. No, well, what, what, what was the covers they did on Van Halen 2? Um, Dance the Night Away. Yeah. And then, but if you think about it, they just did album after album, bam, 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 bam. That's why they were doing it. Yeah. And I forget what album they finally broke even on, but it was like three or four albums into it before they even broke even. Wow. Yeah. They even did that big, um, was it Monsters or Rock or something in mm-hmm. at the Coliseum in yeah. Los Angeles? Yeah. Cost them over a million dollars to do it, and they broke even. God. That's they literally broke even on that deal. I I I noticed, especially lately, because recently, because we just listened to every Van Halen yeah. album. It, it's like it was just 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. I don't think there's a break till eighty three or something. I mean, they were just man, bam, 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 and now a band will take like you know six years in between a record. That's crazy. <laughs> well, they had to do it. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, they had to stay on the road and whatnot. And they were so over the top in their production. And a lot of people don't get, you know, bands like Van Halen, they've got two, sometimes three crews. Yeah. So 
they're playing in Tulsa tonight. They got one complete crew and set up here. Well, they're playing in Dallas tomorrow. They got another crew there. Yeah. And maybe they're playing in Atlanta the next day. The third crew is there. All, you, you see, so they're not just traveling with one crew, these giant bands like mm-hmm. that. They're, they're, you know, and the ones that are going overseas and all that, they're putting this stuff on ships and airplanes and shit, you know, complete stage setups yeah. like that to where, you know, that's a lot of dang money. Yeah, it is. You know, you yeah, it semis. Is. I mean, <laughs> you guys gone to some of the bigger shows and mm-hmm. seen how many semis are out back at some of these places? Yeah. Just the fuel alone? Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> and Maiden, those guys are flying uh, on. What are they? What, what is that? Is that a seven forty seven they got? Yeah, the new one. Oh, God. Or was the the new one was even bigger? Was yeah, it? I can't remember what it was. Ed Force one. Like yeah. they they made it to where they could literally fit the whole stage set up and everything in the plane. Just it was some crazy. And those guys have already got it. Like so that. they're not having to you know chase their tails like. We're talking about with Van Halen, and they're those guys are just and yeah. it's going out faster than it's coming in. Oh man, it's going out on such a high level. It's like, yeah. oh, they're got to be making lots of money. They are, but they're spending more. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can just imagine. But that airplane. whole tour, they every city they went to, they shipped in like ass loads of the beer as well. You beer, know, the, the, the trooper beer. beer. That they put oh, out. oh oh maiden yeah yeah and they uh they would have like listening part like officially sanctioned Iron Maiden you know pre party where you yeah. go get the trooper <laughs> beer and then they sell it at the venue so you got to think just off that beer they're probably making more than most bands see in their lifetime <laughs> yeah depending on how much they got that's, invested in that's the beer. rare yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. well that gets, but a lot of these guys are doing that now um, like even at our level. Which is way below that, uh, and I don't know this for sure, but it's like Phil, the Super Joint Show. I believe right now you can purchase for fifty dollars access to go meet him, and get an autograph. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. but you got to pay fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. I think when Ted Nugent was here, it was like three hundred at the Diamond. Three hundred bucks a pop, and you yeah. got to go in there and talk to him for like a minute or two, and you're you know get his autograph, and you're done. <laughs> That's what uh, when we posted, uh, I think when I posted the picture of me and him with Gene Simmons after we did the interview. Um, That's cool. Some a guy we know posted and said, "That's we say twenty four hundred." Yeah, well, because there was three Sunshine was in the picture too, so there was three of us with him. He's like, "That's twenty four hundred dollars worth of." Meet and greet the, right there. Depending, <laughs> yeah, you guys had your little badges though, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. But any other but three just, people? <laughs> you know, it just normally that experience, guy, that would cost somebody like $1,000 or whatever it is. And honestly, the reason it's gone that way, I think, this is what I think. Wow. It is, drizzle is starting. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> There's no money in the music. You yeah. can't make any exactly. damn money selling the music. Mm-hmm. Okay? You can... It, it doesn't... I hate to say this, but Lars was right. Yeah. Lars yeah. was right. He was the biggest asshole in the world when he came out, and I thought he was. Uh, what an 
asshole. You know, get up and sue companies and blah, 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 and keeping all this music from us. And, well, I wish he would have been more successful, though. Yeah. Uh, because it ruined it. Sorry, the internet ruined it. Yeah. Sure uh, used to, bands could put albums out and make money off of it. And now the only time they're making money is what they're making off of touring and merchandise. And so if that means that instead of now, because I'm not making any money selling my music, I've got to charge somebody 50 bucks so I can pay my electric bill when I get home. Yeah. But you got to think that's a, if you're an established act, you know, someone that people want to meet, it's an easy, you know, way for them to make income because there's nothing, you know, all it's doing is just spending some of their time, you know, taking pictures and signing autographs. Yeah, and they're making. But back in the day, profit, you didn't, you know? what my point was back in the day that you didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it happened, but it wasn't. You know, I guess presidents have always done it. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. But, but you see so many people bitching about it too. And Jamie Josta mentioned on his podcast that he does it. He's like, I'll meet anybody anytime outside my bus, wherever. Stop me. I'm not going to charge you, but if you want to come to a show and meet me and be guaranteed to meet me, then pay the fifty bucks. You know, you're not put gas in his yeah, you're not going to be guaranteed to meet me outside if there's 400 people waiting. You know, but I'll try to meet you. But if you want to spend the money, that's your only way that you're guaranteed to do it. Yeah, which is a good point, I guess. If it's your favorite artist, well, <laughs> up here in Tulsa, what what year? Well, it was Metal Church, The Dark. What year was that? Oh God, I don't know. Um, My middle church history isn't yeah. very good. Was well, that when you said they opened it for Anthrax? Right, they opened for Anthrax. 87, I think, because that was Among the Living. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In 87, I was up here at the fairgrounds. Yeah. And um, I had hair. It was all. <laughs> and I got to meet. Those guys pulled up in an old, you know, one bus. And I think Metal Church was like in a couple vehicles wow and uh um, they're out in the gravel parking lot on the side of the building and just hanging out walked right up there and hung out with them and talked to them they were just cool um but they were making money yeah you know they were making money off the show they were making money selling albums and that was the big deal buy albums buy you know buy cds buy albums you know and tapes it was tapes back then yeah yeah late 80s cassette tapes yeah <laughs> And uh, can't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't remember what band it was, but somebody, it was a headline. They said, we're basically anymore, we're just traveling t-shirt salesmen. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well, and what's even worse, though, when it comes to the t-shirts, these guys that are signed, they don't have control over that. Yeah. And again, they only get to make, you know, they've got input, I guess, on some of the designs. And I think that's even limited. But, uh, you know, a good example, I don't know if you uh, know uh, my buddies in, in a Broken Flesh. You guys ever heard of them? I've heard of they them. They are death metal. So they're, they're uh, you know, um, you almost have to kind of be around the death metal scene to know some of those guys. But uh, um, they just recently, within the last couple of years, got signed. And they're doing a lot of stuff in Mexico. I guess it's pretty big down in Mexico. 
I think they just got back from Mexico on one of their playing a bunch of festivals down there. And, you know, that was the deal. It's, I think they got to submit some, all right, we kind of like this artwork and that artwork. They take it. They go to their T-shirt people. X amount gets sent, and they only make X amount off of it, you know, um, to where, you know, guys like us, we can go anywhere we want get our T-shirts made, mm-hmm. sell them for whatever we want, and um, make all the profit of it, you know. So... With local bands, they're getting all the profit of you know off of it. If they're selling them for enough and buying, you know, that's another deal. You got to buy in bulk. Yeah, which a lot of musicians they don't think like that. They don't. All they know is I sit, I sit here and I play guitar or drums all day. Never thought about profit margins on t-shirt sales. Mm-hmm. They don't get it. Yeah, especially a lot of the younger ones. Everyone, the bands, the successful bands that you see, they're going to have at least one guy in that band that gets it. And he's working his tail off, mm-hmm. making it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have at least one one guy. Yeah, that knows. What's that reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> I heard an interview with Duff McKagan like a year or two ago, and he said that they. He, you know, he went back to school, got a degree in business, and all kinds of stuff, and decided that he was going to audit Geffen because he felt like. There was a lot of money missing, you know, from all the shit they did, you know. And they came they came back and said, hey, you owe us $8 million is what they had figured out. And Geffen came back and said, all right, we'll give you $2 million. And he's like, no, you owe us $8 million. He's like, well, take us to court and spend a few million dollars wasting your time. Or right. just take the $2 million and be done. So he said, it's kind of shitty, but, you know, at least I got $2 million, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are going to make fun of me probably, but I recently... Well, it wasn't. I recently checked into it because it's been bugging me in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it was here. A buddy of mine um, called me up Friday night, I think it was. Man, I got an extra ticket to Def Leppard. You want to go see him? It was at the BOK Center up here. I got into it. I was like, God damn, those guys were good live. You know, I, I, their first two albums, I dug. Yeah. I really like the first couple of Def Leppard albums. When it started going into the dance shit, I didn't, you know, yeah. I get why people like it. It's just not my thing. Yeah. And I wanted to download the Pyromania album. Try that. Have you got, you know what I'm talking about? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to make it funny. I fucking love Def Leppard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I even love, love all love the, Def Leppard. You I can't get it. I love all the You cannot. Stuff. If I want to listen to the Pyromania album, I got to go to YouTube it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got gotcha. you. You cannot yeah. buy Pyromania. Yeah, there's there's some you know some some bands uh, that's their whole catalog. There's and very there's, few, but and then there's some. There's like a couple albums you just well, can't find. You know. Now you guys are gonna make fun of me because I'm gonna show you this. Sh- <laughs> yeah. Because I thought that I found it, <laughs> so I bought all this Def Leppard music. Look, you see that Leopard animal photograph? Okay. It's a cover band. It's not even Def Leppard. <laughs> I'm listening to this and I'm like, "What the? Well, this sounds is... like shit." <laughs> yeah. And so then I then I googled it. I'm like, "All right, what is going on?" So evidently, Def Leppard's in some sort of a and has been for several years um, dispute with the record company, and they're just not. You can't get it. You can't really? get Pyromate. That's insane. I wonder if it's on Spotify. No. The only Def Leppard that's on even streaming services is the new 
like the last two, their live album and their newest album. Really? And then the slang when they reissued it, because just anything they have control over, I guess, everything else they don't. Wow. That's insane. It is. So but you, there's other bands that held off on purpose, like ACDC and the Beatles, like they're huge bands, mm-hmm. you know, that drew it out as long as they could, making money off of sales. And then all of a sudden they just cut a deal with Spotify yeah. and Apple Music and all that stuff last year. And both yeah. those bands showed up for the first time on streaming services in just the past year. Well, it's like... Um, we got on uh, Spotify, and I don't know how that happened, but that's... Cool. That's very cool. It probably if if one of you guys didn't do it, maybe mm-hmm. did you submit your stuff with like CD Baby or something? Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that's um, it was either CD Baby or iTunes. Okay. I think when you do that, well, we've done both. They do that for you as well. I think because another thing is that all of a sudden it started coming up on um, YouTube that we didn't put up there. Oh. It's up there, so it's so. And that's kind of cool that they're doing it. These services yeah. are doing that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's again, stuff that people don't tell you. How, you know, there's, where do you get that information? Well, you, you knew it. I found it by accident. And I don't know if it was CD Baby or, because we did do CD Baby. And then we did do um, um, iTunes. And we did Google Music. And then Reverb Nation. Um, so between all of that, somewhere or another it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's cool. I know that, like, it's weird. Like, Kiss, you know, you can get all their stuff, you know, Spotify, stream, or whatever. But Sonic Boom, because they sold that exclusively at Walmart. Right. And so, which you, is not a bad deal if you can get an exclusive deal at Walmart. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's so you have to YouTube it or go to Walmart and hope that they still have it somewhere now. You know? <laughs> but again, how much music, you know, how much music is being sold at Walmart? Really? Yeah, exactly. I don't exactly. know anymore, you know. I mean, yeah. six, seven, eight years ago, okay. Mm. But especially nowadays, and I'm guilty of the same thing. I buy all my music iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, usually I used to be, you walk in Best Buy, you know, CDs are out in your face, mm-hmm. and that whole huge middle section of CDs, now it's like there's a section on the, the back end where it's like, you know, two rows of CDs, you know, and it used to be covered half. And that's all going to be corporate. Stuff, yeah. yeah, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, and you know, I guess the same guys that own all the big record companies own the radio stations, and just total monopoly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Well, not to totally change the subject, you mentioned Metal Church, and you told me the other day that that was the band that kind of got you into the heavier side of music. There was two shows that did it, um, because. Growing up, what I was really got into, what I thought was just metal, and the, what I thought was hard stuff was ACDC, Van Halen, mm-hmm. Ozzy, Black Sabbath, you know, Deep Purple, that kind of stuff. And that's what I was into, you know, anything like that, you know. Um, and uh, the first one, I believe, I what was... What year was Master of Puppets? 86. 86. It's another one of those deals. Hey, Ozzy's playing. Let's go see Ozzy. It's like, cool. Let's go see Ozzy. Fairgrounds in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Big round building. We get there and, you know, not really paying attention back then at all to 
the bands that were before. Never heard of Metallica. You know, what is Metallica? I don't know what that is. We're on the floor. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is his favorite band. Yeah. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in Oklahoma City all his life. Yeah. You know, that, that stuff started at the, it starts at the, especially back then, man. There were, and, uh, people don't think in these terms now. There was no, uh, internet. Mm-hmm. There was no YouTube. There, there wasn't any of that stuff. You know, and the big, the big, uh, magazines like Hit Parader and stuff like that, they didn't cover that kind of shit. And if they did, it was a little small deal on the back somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, and, um, so it was very difficult, you know, to know what was out there. I didn't have a clue what Metallica was. Yeah. And they had a couple albums before, before, uh, Master of Puppets. I'd never heard it. I didn't even know what that stuff was. And, um, man, all of a sudden I'm like, I, I catch myself doing this fast, <laughs> faster than normal. Because <laughs> you, know? you do that with Ozzy, but yeah. you don't do it like that. You know? <laughs> Bobbing my head, by the way. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I was like, these guys are badass. And so, so cool because then what I did was... Well, gotta back up. Got kicked out because the security guards didn't know. They had no clue what was going. They never seen moshing or anything like that before. Yeah. They thought everybody was fighting. They were just grabbing people up in hordes, just throwing us out the back door. So I had enough money to get back in the second time, and but I stopped in the front and bought the Master of Puppets cassette tape. Yeah, and then made it back in, had the cassette tape, you know, made it back in, and um, this time we didn't have money to get back on the floor, Um, and the floor was already full, I wouldn't let anyone else back on the floor, so now we're just like standing, so we went ahead and tried to jump the wall, we jumped the wall, I think got about 10 or 15 feet, got yanked up again, (laughs) thrown back out, and... Got to hear a couple Aussie songs standing on the outside of the, you, you know the uh, the old song about you know jukebox hero. Yeah, <laughs> felt like that dude, yeah. but it wasn't the rain. I'm standing outside listening to Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is cool, I guess. You know, <laughs> kicked out of twice because yeah, they. It was funny to see the security. I could kind of still see it in my head. Those guys were like, "What the hell is this?" You know, moshing. Yeah. They were not letting it happen. God, just that you went to that show, man. That's well, that's and then it wasn't very much longer. I mean, that got that got it going. Yeah. And so now I'm sitting in there, you know, trying to figure out, which is another thing. Again, there's no YouTube. There's no internet. Um, how do you figure out what these guys are doing? Their techniques. What? How are they getting that sound? What the yeah. hell are they doing? You know. Um, just sitting in there with the cassette tape, rewind, because play, rewind, play, rewind, play, you know, and uh, um, trying to mimic it the best way you can. And, you know, sooner, you know, after a while, it just starts, you start picking it up. But come up here for Metal Church and Anthrax, which Scott Ian is just, I mean, he's probably, he's got a, yeah, it's hard to, 
it's hard to say he's the best because you got James Hetfield, which mm-hmm. is obviously in his own right a king at you know down picking. You know, oh yeah. I mean that dude can down pick, <clears throat> but so yeah. can Scott Ian. Yeah, those are the two. Okay, and to see that little dude, you know, and then once I saw them. And I thought they were great, you know. Guy, dude comes out with the big Indian headdress on. <laughs> you know, he's dancing around like an Indian. I'm going, what in the hell is going on? You got Scott Ian just thrashing the whole time while this dude's running around with a headset. <laughs> what do you call those things? Headdress. 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 headdress, yeah. headdress. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. But um, then here come Headbangers Ball. Yeah. You know, yeah. on MTV. Which at one, which honestly, man, I mean, at one time, I the only reason I had cable was so I could watch Headbangers Ball. That's it. That's all I fucking watched. Mm-hmm. The whole I didn't give a shit about everything else. You know, <laughs> watching Headbangers Ball, and after that, you know, I didn't watch TV for the rest of the week. You know? Yeah, it was it well, once a week, wasn't it, or yeah. some crap? Saturday nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the intro music, I believe it was uh, <laughs> "Speak English or Die" yeah. by. Okay. Um, uh, SOD yeah. and I'm going man that guitar sounds familiar I didn't realize I was Scott Ian so then I got a hold of SOD stuff and yeah it was just um, there was a band back in the late 80s that was pretty damn big in Oklahoma City called Carnage mm-hmm. and um, you know for a local band it was and it was it was you know 80s thrash and um, I was really good friends with the drummer who wrote all the music and lyrics and everything. You know, he was a military kid. His dad was in the Air Force. He traveled all over the world, all over the country growing up. And was, yeah. you know, um, exposed to all this different, you know, type of music that we were sh- completely sheltered from here in the Midwest. Yeah. He was just turning me on to all this stuff, you know, which... Um, one of the bands you mentioned punk earlier, but one of the bands he turned me on to was Fear. Yeah, and you know I've always called Fear punk rock with talent. <laughs> <laughs> Not dissing any of the other punk bands, but no, those yeah. guys were over the top with a lot of the, a lot of the things that they did. Man, they you know um, next level musicians playing, you know, playing that that kind of stuff. Some of their some of their weird timing and stuff that they did. And then the guitar player, would he was just really damn good um, for punk rock. You usually don't see that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, Suicidal tendencies, he got another good, good guitar player. But other yeah. than that, you don't see a lot of over-the-top badass musicians. Yeah. If they just together, they get together and just create this insane energy, <laughs> you know. But um, this guy's name was Tom McDermott, and um, he had... Similar thing going on that you did, you guys do now, but it was all a magazine for him. He yeah. had a underground music magazine called Translucent Lethargy, and he would literally get on a typewriter and two finger the <laughs> whole damn thing. And then he had a friend that worked at an office, and on the weekends she would sneak in there and make all these copies. Yes. Then he had a mailing list. And he would literally, I think it was like $2 a month or something like that. And people would, they joined this translucent lethargy thing and he would mail out 
every month. And he'd do, do the same thing you guys were doing. He'd interview the bands. He would advertise where all the shows were, when they were going to be. But he was also one of the best named drummers around back then and just all around just writer. He mm-hmm. wrote some awesome music. And um, was affiliated with them. Never really played a show with Carnage. Um, I was too busy partying. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was all I wanted to do was party and have fun. You know, yeah. guitar came. You know, it was two or three steps down the ladder of priorities. <laughs> uh, chasing girls and and partying that was the priority back when you're sixteen. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I play guitar, but I like to do this and this more. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, we were putting some stuff together, and um, um, Carnage was having issues, and um, we started in the direction where Tom and I were going to do Carnage, and whatever members wanted to stay with us, fine. If not, we're going to get new members. Well, come to find out, they all just said, no, screw you guys, we'll go get a drummer. (laughs) (laughs) So then we went and started the band called Hate. And Hate got just as big, probably better, because, you know, Carnage didn't last very long because they didn't write any of the music. They didn't have anyone that could write music. So Mm. it was kind of like, you know, they kind of played Tom's music for a while and then then, uh, kind of went away. If you can't write music, you can only, you know, play the same shit over and over so, many, so long. But yeah. uh, um, we kind of did our deal. And uh, that's, you know, that's kind of the way it started with me. And it was all just hardcore. Yeah. You know, yeah. I never actually... And you can keep this an interview or not, but a lot of people don't know this about me. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's been so, so long, but in... January of 1990, I went to prison. Mm-hmm. Put the kibosh on all of it. Except for, they have bands in prison. <laughs> I played in prison bands for seven years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Traveled, yeah, traveled all over, to, you know, uh, whatever prison I went to, I was, boom, right in the band room. And, man, I'd have to play everything from blues to rock and then, you know, eventually we'd get around to playing metal if you had some guys in there could do it. Yeah. And, yeah, we'd spent, and that was my job. Wow. Uh, most of the time I was in prison, my job was just staying in a band room playing music. Yeah. And you just traveled to other prisons to play it too? Well, you there... get transferred because um, your security levels change and whatnot, so you don't stay in the same prison the whole time usually unless you go – to death row, then you're kind of screwed till you, <laughs> till you get dead. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I uh, think I got. I think I discharged '96 ish. Got back out, and so I missed a large chunk right there. Yeah. But uh, so when you came back out, the metal scene had totally changed too. <laughs> it did, but I changed, you know, and that was a huge deal because all the, you know, all the guys that, that and, and I don't know if you guys see this from, you know, running the guys that you knew 15, 20 years ago and they're still the same, but yeah. you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, yeah, let's go. I got all this and all this. Let's do all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I got to go work next morning. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
was as soon as I got out, yeah, it was on Tom McDermott was like, okay, let's go. And it's like, man, I can't. I actually got bills and stuff I got to pay now. Yeah. I got to go to work. I can't, you know, yeah. I can't go on the road. And so, yeah, it slowed me way down. You know, yeah. like, oh, responsibilities now. <laughs> um, Seven years of sobriety will do that to you. You start thinking all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, it's just, it's, it's definitely different. So at that time, did you go, what the hell happened to Metallica? Well, no, but I will tell you a funny Pantera story. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah, I bet, yeah. Because um, we had played, we didn't play that night. I was down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I believe the place is still there, Joe's Garage is what mm-hmm. it's called. And um, we had some buddies, um, a band called Gamicide. And a band called Sedition. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that's why we were there. Tom and I were there for that. And the Pantera guys were there. But this was back when they looked like a glam band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I can say, I can go on record and say, I have never wore makeup. <laughs> I have never wore spandex. I have never worn a fucking bandana. not even a bandana I have never danced like a woman on stage (laughs) nor will I ever not that it's bad if that's your thing then hey do it and do it good which a lot of people did you know Um, some of my favorite bands like Van Halen of course Van Halen other than like David Lee Roth David Lee Roth was you know but still he he wasn't over the top like some of them like Poison yeah Yeah. even uh uh, Striper, that was another one with the whole Bumblebee look thing. Yeah, and, oh man. But, uh, um, but Pantera was there. Okay? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, these guys are kind of cool, but they're not metal in my mind, you know, because in my mind, I was, you know, I'm listening to bands like Violence and at that time, Fear, Violence. Even Metallica, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of the heavier stuff, and um, which it wasn't like, you know, I don't know if you guys remember back then, everything was segregated. Mm-hmm. Everyone didn't get along like they do now, at least not around here. Yeah. You know, if you were a glam band, you were a glam band. If you were a metal band, you were a metal band, and you get the fans mixing together sometimes, or even the bands, and uh, there were problems. <laughs> yeah. You know, and God forbid you were a country guy or a metal guy at a country bar or a country guy at a metal bar because that was even worse, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we all kept our distance, even though yeah. secretly, <laughs> which, secretly, you know, we'd slip that rat tape in there and every once in a while <laughs> would admit it to your buddies, but it's like, eh, I'm more than Martini guy can play guitar. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not going to say that publicly. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, anyway. Uh, but so I'm in prison again. I believe I was in uh, I was in Granite that then. Okay, you guys know where Granite, Oklahoma is? I've heard of it. It's in the middle, southwest Oklahoma, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you can pick up some country stations and some Spanish stations on the radio. That's yeah. it. Wow. So this guy had snuck had snuck in somewhere or another. Somebody got some cassette tapes snuck in, yeah. 
and you could go to the chapel. They had books on tape for, you know, religious stuff. So you'd take these tapes and go in there and act like you're going to church and stick these tapes in there and you're listening to... (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't very good quality of sound, you know, because they they don't spring for the good headphones and stuff back then, but... uh, yeah, and this guy's saying, that's Pantera. And I was like, you know, I know that I've met those guys in Pantera, but that ain't Pantera. That's not the same. Wow. Because he had asked me, you know, you ever heard of Pantera? And I said, yeah, we're in Dallas. I got one of their tapes, like, I'm not really into it. And no, you got to listen to it. So I went down there and snuck into the chapel. And, Was it Cowboys from Hell or Vogue Display Five? I don't remember. Okay. I honestly don't. Yeah. Because I, I, I heard a little bit of it and just told him this isn't the same man. Yeah. This is not the same man. <laughs> it's not, not even fucking close. Yeah. Not the same man. And then I forget how long it was after, I believe it was talking with old Tom McDermott again. He's like, no, that's the same guys. They just radically changed. And wow. goddamn did they change for the better. He's like, you <laughs> yeah, those guys were for real. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. when they started out, they really weren't. I mean, they were, don't get me wrong, they didn't suck. Yeah. But they were, if you would have listened to them then, which I'm sure they've done a really good job of hiding all that stuff, yeah. um, versus what they did, you would have never connected to that. You could have never seen that coming. Yeah. yeah. It's like, whoa. Because, man, did they do it in a big way. I mean, yeah. Well, it's not like. It's not like they just decided, eh, let's just start being heavier. They like, they brought a whole new like sound, you know, when they decided to get heavier, like a whole new style in, in a way. I attribute that. And again, it's just my opinion and my own ears. Um, Daryl was obviously hugely influenced by Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Eddie, I don't think even gets near the credit or the only thing people know, you know, is how many people that guy actually influenced. And um, it's the same thing with me when people hear me play. They'll ask me, well, who's your main influence? Eddie Van Halen. And they're like, what? Really? Because they don't connect the dots. It's the same thing with with Dimebag to an untrained ear, I guess, to someone who hasn't really listened to both and, you know, at that, you know, at that level, He's a whole lot of Eddie, whole lot of Eddie, yeah. and not just in the technique, but in his style of playing because he was one guitar player in a metal band. Well, that is a very difficult thing to do to have a single guitar player in a metal band. You need two. You think of all the really good metal bands, how many guitar players they have? Because it fills that hole. <clears throat> yeah. So what Eddie always did filled the gaps so he's not doing standard metal stuff he's doing all sorts of weird shit all the time in between stuff things that you don't even pay attention to sometimes yeah. but he's filling gaps and filling holes yeah and that's the same thing daryl did he's he's filled the gaps filled the holes yeah yeah he sure did and that that's a whole that's a whole nother level of playing guitar when you're able to do that mm-hmm. and pull it off yeah without it sounding like something's missing yeah, I mean, because you know, when he'd take a solo and it'd just be bass. I mean, it didn't. It didn't sound. 
But think about it. You know, yeah. What other band do you listen to I that know. does that? It's Van Halen. Yeah. How many times have you heard Eddie go just take off and you hear Michael Anthony in the background just, <laughs> you know, yeah. all, and, and it works because they're a, they're able to fill those holes and gaps. They're able to make that happen. Uh, most people can't. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? You get a rhythm guitar player. You know, Angus Young doesn't even do it. Angus has got to have his brother back there grinding them chords out, holding yeah. that, you know, holding that rhythm down. He's able to go out there and be a maniac and be a badass. But <laughs> not very many people have pulled it off. You got Eddie that's done it. Well, you know, Randy Rhodes did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, honest, this is going to piss some to people think. off. I don't think he filled the holes as well. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, you almost have to have that jazz swing thing going on that yeah. groovy jazz weird swing where it goes around everything else it's not in groove you know Randy Rhodes was in groove with everything yeah uh, Pantera Van Halen <coughs> they would get in groove but then they would jump out of it and go all completely around it then come mm-hmm. back inside of it you, you know what I'm saying yeah yeah um which again, it's a whole different mindset, whole yeah. different type of musician to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. And uh, you know, well, some of Pantera's stuff, in my opinion, the most difficult stuff to play by him is diff- is that difficult for the same reason that a lot of Eddie Van Halen stuff is difficult. And it's not the exact technique that he's using; it's the weird timing and shit he's got going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, that's so hard to, because that's something that comes from their soul. You know, they're feeling what they're playing. They're not listening to the hi-hat. They're not listening to the snare. They're in time with it all, but they're, they're coming in and out, in and out of it. Just crazy. Um, that's what makes those guys, in my opinion, not the fact, not the fact that they can do a, somebody can do a sweep arpeggio or pick a million miles an hour. Fill those gaps. Go around the drums instead of with them. Then you know that that ain't easy. Yeah, you play guitar. So yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I always just can't, kind of did rhythm. You know, in, in still in. try to do Van Halen rhythms. Play the rhythm on the one. <laughs> oh man, probably the hardest song Eddie's, in my opinion, one of the hardest songs Eddie ever. It harder than Eruption. Mm-hmm. That song, I'm the one. Most people don't get what's in that song. You can actually go on YouTube, and they have the isolated track for "I'm <coughs> just a guitar. You can listen to it. Really? You'll go, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that when we're done now. Just the basic rhythm. Yeah. Try that. Try to get it. It sounds simple till you do it. Get that little swing off. It's it's crazy, and Daryl same way. I've never heard. I haven't you know I haven't I haven't heard a lot of stuff from Dimebag as far as interviews or anything. So I don't really know what he considered his influences to be. But to me, listening to his, and I'm not talking about his rhythm so much, but everything that he did on guitar, I hear Eddie all over. Yeah, he said yeah. that like yeah. Eddie Van Halen and Ace Frehley. Ace Frehley, those were his two, his two biggest influences. He always said, "Oh, didn't he have an Ace Frehley tattoo on him?" I think he did. He was buried in a Kiss casket. I know that much. <laughs> what? He was buried in a Kiss casket. <laughs> yeah. With the Eddie Van Halen guitar. 
Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, um, that that's pretty damn cool. Uh, I forget which guitar it was that he was buried with, mm-hmm. but um, that was awesome. <laughs> I guess they did. They did. Surely they took some sort of security measures because wasn't it a? There was all kinds of stuff in there, like from other artists. Bottles of Jack and symbols and all kinds of stuff. What um, what was the singer's name? <coughs> I sound like an idiot now. The singer's name for Leonard Skinner. Ronnie Van Zandt. Ronnie Van Zandt. He was buried with his hat. Yeah. And I think someone robbed his grave and actually stole it. <clears throat> if, I don't know if that's a true story, but I believe it. And so I was, you know, anytime I hear... People get buried with stuff. It's like well, that kind of, you know. Yeah. How much is that guitar worth that Eddie, you know, yeah. custom guitar that Eddie built stuck in there? I don't Sorry, we're getting off on the you, weird. No, you would uh, think they would like shit. put it in there and then like maybe put semen around it or something just so it's impossible to get into. I don't know. That's heinous though. They don't install yeah. guy's yeah. hat. Good Lord. Yeah. Like, what are you going to, like, how are you going to sell that, you know, because they know where it's from. Like, you're saying this was his hat. How are you going to get that hat unless you're the one that stole it from the grave, you know? <laughs> I learned in prison that it does not do you any good to try to use your own logic to figure out why somebody does that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what will drive you crazy. I see that all the time. It's like, how in the hell can someone even conceive of that? Well, they're obviously not thinking the way I am. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to quit trying to figure that out because my logic just doesn't work out. <laughs> but it fucking happens. Yeah. <laughs> People do some weird shit. Yeah, they, what they is they going do. on in that head? I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. Something else I wanted to bring up was we did that Van Halen talk. Which was awesome. Every album. Thank you. And you coming from the original era of Van Halen, I know that that's what you love the most. And so I wanted to thank you for not giving a shit for being Sammy Hagar fanboys throughout <laughs> yeah. that whole thing, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. And something that, you know, somebody else who is a huge Van Halen fan is Tony Proctor. Okay. And we actually talked about that show you guys did. So he, he, oh, he, he was too? like, that was badass. Oh, nice. so, yeah, he's a huge Van Halen fan. Um, yeah, I would never give anyone shit other than just jokingly for liking or not liking anybody. You know, it's, it's a, there's a whole lot of bands out there that I never really got into that I get shit for all the time. What Zeppelin, I was never, I don't dislike them, but they never really tripped my trigger. Yeah. For some reason, I just didn't get in. I didn't get into Kiss. Yeah. I mean, that's almost fighting words sometimes. You get around certain scenes, man. What do you mean you don't like them? It's like I don't like them. I just never, they never... Jimi Hendrix was another guy that I just, I think is cool, but I never really got into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, my brother, Scott, huge Zeppelin fan, uh, huge Hendrix fan, you know, but we grew up in the same, our brims were next to each other. I had to listen to that shit. It's like, dude, turn that shit off. <laughs> yeah. I want to listen to Hendrix again. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I, I don't, I don't like the Beatles. I don't like Pink Floyd. I don't think they suck. And right. They're great. But you can't tell someone that loves those two bands that you don't like them. They'll get pissed Yeah, they just they get well, so I think mad. That, I think that the Beatles did... <clears throat> they did a lot of stuff that I could not get into. Most of it I could not get into. But some of it I could. Yeah. Some of the stuff off of Sgt. Pepper's I could get into. Um, and it's just weird off-the-wall stuff like that... Uh, 
That song Blackbird. Yeah. You ever tried to play that on guitar? No. Huh? That's a trip. <laughs> That's one that I actually sat down and learned how to play and said, damn, McCartney can play a guitar. Yeah. Um, just one of those weird trippy things. See, some of the stuff that they did on Sgt. Pepper's was out there. I mean, way, I mean, it was, it was psychedelic, man. They, they and they were doing it, you know, with Abbey Road studio. Mm-hmm. Um, along the same time as Floyd was recording some stuff in there at the same time. Oh, wow. And, um, what it seems like to me, and I believe, I, I believe there's some interviews that substantiate this out there, but, uh, Seems like to me, especially during that Sgt. Pepper's album, if you listen to a lot of Floyd stuff, you know, during Dark Side of the Moon, Animals, and especially The Wall, looks like they kind of overheard some of the techniques and whatnot that they, because <laughs> literally, you, you go up to Sgt. Pepper's, they wouldn't do anything like that. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they get in the studio, and you've got Floyd that's been in there for no telling how long. I mean, they were, you know, Inventing things to do with, yeah, with with the uh, um, synthesizers and you know back when you had all the freaking knobs and crap and you know turning different frequencies on and off and sweeping them and doing just crazy shit. Uh, so I'm, it can't be a coincidence. Yeah, is what I'm saying. <laughs> they go in and record Sergeant Pepper's. Floyd's been there. They're set up. You know, it's like their second home. Now all of a sudden. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they did well with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it worked. And they got a really cool picture out in front of the building, <laughs> walking across the street, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you like Cheap Trick at all? Yes. Did you know they did, <clears throat> they covered Sgt. Pepper's in its entirety a I few know. years ago? That's great. It's my favorite Beatles album ever, the Cheap Trick version. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know they did that. It's live too. It's, I'm they so did it all live. It's fucking great. I'm so damn weird when it comes to musical influences and stuff I like or don't like. So it comes from everywhere. Yeah. And Cheat Trick, I dig them. Yeah. I don't have anything negative to say about Cheat Trick. You should it, check that out. Uh, guy could play the damn guitar. Yeah. Even though I think most of the necks on that guitar weren't <laughs> real. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think Cheap Trick's pretty cool. Got and he's got the uh, the picks are like that long on the mar- on the microphone stand because he oh. throws them out like every every couple of notes he plays. Well, that's just because he don't have to buy guitar picks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, my guitar picks cost me like five or six bucks a pack. It's like ten of them. <laughs> it's like, people ask me for guitar picks. It's like, oh man, I'll. I got really. Well, I got like two left. Yeah, man. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of these days. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe I'll. Uh, I'll we'll get it endorsed by a pick company. I, get, I did get endorsed by Keeley Electronics, which is really cool. And uh, you guys ever heard of Robert Keeley? I don't think so. Uh-uh. Yeah, he's a boutique uh, pedal designer, manufacturer, nice. for effects. Yeah, and uh, out of Edmond, Oklahoma. Really. He's one of the top dogs, yeah. yeah. He's uh, um, makes custom effects for all the big names, but yeah, he's it's all high quality boutique stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So I'm using a bunch of his stuff now. That's like um, like 
Kirk Hammond started his own. He he he's made a few pedals for both and Kirk and James. Really, there's a story that Damn, I think Robert told awesome. me. Robert made a custom pedal. Oh, he's going to kill me because I can't remember the dang pedals that they were. But they shipped them off. They got confused. Um, James's pedal went in Kirk's box. Kirk's pedal went in James's box. I got them. (laughs) Sometime later, they call them, man, these pedals suck. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Blah, blah, blah. And then somewhere or another, I guess Robert decided to ask him, well, give me some information on maybe serial numbers or I don't know. And he figured out they got mixed up. He goes, tell you what, James, go get Kirk's. Just trade. I called him back a little bit later. That works great. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. Yeah, I know he's made some pedals for ZZ Top, and um, I know he works a lot. I've seen him working a lot with Dweezil yeah. Zappa, which is an awesome, awesome yeah. guy. Uh, a huge, you know, Frank Zappa fan. Yeah. Big, big, big Zappa fan. But uh, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, he would he would be mad that I'm not doing him justice right now. So, <laughs> yeah, he's made a lot of custom pedals over the years, and uh, it's all top top end stuff, top mm-hmm. line stuff. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like boutique amps. Oh yeah, know? yeah. Same thing with the pedals. Nice, nice. I'm using. Oh crap! Uh, I've got a bunch of his pedals. Actually, this is one of his shirts right here. Really? Okay. Uh, he made a darks. He, he made a pedal um, that will help you emulate uh, most of the guitar sounds that were used off the dark side of the moon. Wow. It's called the dark side pedal. <laughs> but I just took this picture the other day. This is a 30 millisecond pedal right here that he made. And I don't know if you guys know what that means, but... A recording technique that people have used a lot over the years is you'll record one track, mm-hmm. then they'll copy that track, yeah. paste it below it, and they can shift it left or right by so many milliseconds. Yeah. It'll give you this really spacey, thick, full sound. Yeah. Well, this pedal right here emulates that. Wow. Uh, Dimebag used something <clears throat> similar. Yeah. Um, I forget what it was called, but here's another one that I used by him. It's called the Super Fat Mod, and that's basically like a um, tube screamer, mm-hmm. but it doesn't color the sound. And again, this is what I use it for. It could be he may be advertising this stuff completely different than uh, <laughs> than what I'm using it for. But I get them out of the box and mess with them. It's like, oh, this is what it does for me, and yeah. Uh, this will give you roughly the same kind of boost as a tube screamer, but it doesn't color your tone. Yeah. So like you hit a tube screamer, all of a sudden you get treble. Yeah. Well, that doesn't happen with this. Wow. And uh, this Bubbletron thing I got going on here has got two or three things on it, but all I use is the flanger on that. I was using a um, EVH flanger, mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen's flanger, and... Uh, had to have a special power supply for it. It was a big pedal, took up a bunch of space, and um, don't know exactly what Robert he did something, changed a 
switch setting or a chip or something inside that thing. And now I just use it for that flanger and it's one of the best flangers I've ever, ever, ever messed with in this Dynamiroto. Dino Myroto. Just got this. <laughs> uh, I, I'm using the chorus on that. His stuff is just, it's all handmade, all hand wired. That's, I've always thought that's crazy. I'm, you know, I'm going to make this thing that emulates another sound. I wouldn't even know how to well, begin. Two things with Robert. <clears throat> One, he's a legitimate electronic engineer. Yeah. He's a guitar player. So you take them two things. Um, I saw him post the other day on Facebook a picture when he was a, a teenager. He made his own uh, Fender Twin, a uh, Fender Deluxe, I believe it was. Yeah. A, Fen- a Fender Deluxe clone. He makes one. So, <laughs> yeah. And so just kind of, you know, he's he's got to be 45-ish. 48-ish, somewhere in there, so years old. So, you know, he's been doing this, I guess, since he was a teenager. So yeah. you just end up, you know, he, he does very well at what he does. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the top guys in the country. That's nice. Uh, doing it. But um, it helps, though. Yeah. We're all talking about money and all that earlier. <clears throat> it helps. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely you does. You get guys that are that are they're that are successful in the industry that they get back to the industry by helping musicians. Yeah. You know. A lot of companies won't do that. You know. Um, but anyway, to really change the subject, you got something to drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely can see now that I know how old you guys are. Yeah. Why, you know, H- Hagar fans, I mean, it that was more your period. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't dislike Sammy Hagar at all. Um, bad motor scooter. Get on your bad motor scooter and ride. I mean, Montrose, dude. Um, and even the, you know, even the goofy shit like I can't drive 55 and stuff like <laughs> that. It's still, you know, there's only one way to rock. I mean, there's still, I mean, the guy had something. Yeah. And what most people don't think about and don't take into consideration is when he joined Van Halen, he was he was selling out stadiums himself. Mm-hmm. He was on that level. So it's not like he went to Van Halen and they helped him. That was a mutual mm-hmm. deal. And they that was a mutual business deal that because I thought Sharon could out I think he's the best singer that Van Halen ever had, period. As <laughs> far like as the <laughs> as far as I'm not even talking about the songs. Or the record. Mm-hmm. You just talk about the ability to fucking yeah. sing. That guy could sing David E. Roth, and he could sing Sammy Hagar yeah, stuff. He, um, yeah. he was a badass, and he could do it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I had seen that lineup live. With um, he sang David Lee Roth better than David, live better than David Lee Roth sings, <laughs> which Dave can't sing live. Yeah. I've never seen anything live of David Lee Roth where he... Action, maybe some stuff that was acceptable, but never. <laughs> and he's one of and he, honestly, he's one of my favorite frontman. Yeah, it's yeah. not so. It's not like I'm just talking crap about the guy because I don't like him. I love David Lee Roth, mm-hmm. I, one of my childhood heroes yeah. in music growing up was yeah. David Lee Roth. I didn't even understand again back then. You got to <laughs> understand, no, no internet. 
Okay. And when you're watching videos on MTV, all that shit, dude, is lip synced to the, to the original recordings. Mm-hmm. So they're not even performing then live, you know, it's all, everything's made to look album perfect. Yeah. So when you physically went and saw those guys live, yeah. you had no idea what they sounded like. Yeah. Yeah. You had no idea. So it wasn't until later on that I realized, man, David Lee Roth really sucks live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but he does. And, um, you know, um, Sammy Hager, on the other hand, the guy really pulls it off live. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that Sammy Hagar with Van Halen wasn't Van Halen. I think it was a totally different band. And I personally don't look at them. When we talk about Sammy Hagar stuff, I don't look at it as Van Halen. When I hear Van Halen, I think Dave Lee Roth. Yeah. yeah. And here's one of the uh, examples that I give. When David Lee Roth left Van Halen, he went and what, did two albums with Steve I and Billy Sheen. Yeah. Okay. Those are badass albums. Yes. Yeah, they are. Okay. They, but they didn't sound like David Lee Roth. They sounded like Van Halen on steroids. It sounded like every fucking thing up from Van Halen 1 to 1984 on steroids. It's the same sound, the same groove. Steve I was doing a little bit more crazier things, and obviously Billy Sheehan on the bass was just. That's just insane that someone can even play stuff like he does on the bass. Yeah. But, it's, it, and that's why, thus the on steroids part. <laughs> yeah. Because you basically take, and but then again, you take Billy Sheehan and you take Steve I away from David Lee Roth. Well, how many of their songs can you name? They're badasses. So in my mind, just using my logic, which is sometimes flawed. <laughs> Never. You, you take and you look at Van Halen through Van Halen 1 through 1984, and even a different kind of truth, mm-hmm. and you compare that with what was going on with the DLR, the first two albums that comes out, David Lee Roth was a huge factor in what Van Halen sounded like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, here comes Sammy. Well... Michael's still doing the same shit on the bass. Alex is still doing the same shit on the drums. Eddie's still doing the same shit on the guitar. But it sounds like it's totally something different. Yeah. It's good. I'm not saying it sucks. <laughs> it's bad. Matter of fact, I, I don't think that Van Halen with David Lee Roth ever did any of the chart stuff that they did with, with uh, Sammy. Yeah, I mean, didn't they have like... You probably know this better, like more number ones or whatever. With yeah, I know they had way more singles hit. See, yeah, they did better in the charts with Sammy than they ever did with Dave. Yeah. Um. So I, I honestly, there was rumors going around at the time that this was going to happen that they were going to call it Van Hagar, and I really think they should have because Sammy did the same thing that Dave did. Sammy basically sculpted the sound of that band. You take Sammy out of there, Dave can't sing that shit. Yeah. Everything that they did with Sammy Hagar, Sammy Hagar all over. Yeah. Uh, there's an old guitar player friend of mine that always said, put your own stink on that. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Sammy Hagar put his own stink on Van Halen. Yeah. It, and it's not Van Halen. It's that's a that's Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. Yeah. And that's does, does that make more sense? Yeah. I mean, there's so is many. You, is that a fair assessment? Oh yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's any time a singer changes a band sing, changes a singer and they're not a clone or close to that original guy, it always shifts. It. Like I like. Anthrax with John Bush more than I like it with Joey Belladonna, even though I love Belladonna. But it sounds like a totally different band. I wouldn't even listen. This is, again, this is stuff that I probably shouldn't say because then people start forming opinions about me. (laughs) I wouldn't even listen to Anthrax if it wasn't for Scott Ian. Yeah. Yeah. His guitar, you take Scott Ian out of that band, and he's not even the lead guitar player. I mean, this all tell you something, okay? Who's their guitar player? The, uh, the other guy? Right now, exactly. back then. The other guy. John, the guy from Shadows Fall. Well, well back then, I was see Dan Spitz. Dan Spitz. <laughs> Who the hell's Dan Spitz? Exactly. exactly. See, and that's, it's, isn't that crazy? Because it, it's like most of the time, you the don't focus the is on the yeah. lead guitar player. But in Anthrax, it's all about. Because Anthrax was thrash. Yeah. And thrash is about. It's that, that feeling, it's that energy, it. that rhythm, and that's all. That's all Scott Ian. Yeah. Go listen to SOD. SOD kicks Anthrax's ass <laughs> musically. Seriously, I mean now. I mean again, this is all opinion. Yeah. Uh, you can't argue that Anthrax has done way better financially than SOD ever did. But, you know. But what's more badass? Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, just take the vocals out of it. Just listen to the damn music. Just cut the <laughs> vocal tracks out and listen to it. And SOD, every damn song after another is just man music. Yeah, man music. It's man music. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, okay, then what about, uh, what about, because that, that brings to the big four that we've talked about. What about Megadeth and Slayer? What do you think about those bands? Slayer has got to be, in, in I don't have a favorite band because i got too many that are on the same level, but Slayer's got one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, I've listened to all of it. When I was younger, you know, I really got into their earlier stuff, but as they progressed, I just I, I really like their newer stuff. But I like all of it. You yeah. know, I like all of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, probably, oh man, there's a couple albums that they did that I just didn't think they did very well on. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't even freaking know. They got a lot of... They did quite a few yeah, albums. Yeah, they do. There's um, the, the one that a lot of people say, the Diabolus and Musica or something like that. Yeah. People don't like. Uh, it's, you know, I got it. That was and, a cover album, right? No, that was Undisputed. Oh, attitude, okay. I think. You know, <clears throat> there's two different ways that I listen to Music. Sober and not sober. Okay. <laughs> so depending on that level of whateverness you want to call it, I may like something or a lot like something. But when I get really drunk, 
I can pretty much listen to any Slayer you throw at me. Yeah. yeah. But when I'm not in that state of mind, then I start being more nitpicky. <laughs> the album that I was talking about was Divine Intervention. Divine Intervention. It wasn't, it just not yeah. at the level of you know, Repentless, their new album. Yeah. Oh my God, that's, that's a good, badass man. album, yeah. man. That is, um, dude, um, I'm a huge Dave Lombardo fan, but, you know, they've obviously done really well. Because actually, my two favorite albums probably is going to be Repentless. Mm-hmm. And then God Hates Us All. That's a great fucking record, man. And Dave Lombardo's not on either one of them. Yeah. yeah. Bossed <laughs> Off is a fucking beast. Yeah. You know? And again, if I had to pick my favorite all-time, all-around drummer, it's going to be Dave Lombardo. Yeah. He's got his own style. You can hear him just that quick. Oh, yeah. Dave Lombardo. Um, but when it comes to... To the Slayer stuff, man, Bostoff is, <laughs> he he handled that position in a, in a really big way. Um, but, you know, Hell Awaits, I, 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 I think that, uh, and even Right in Blood, I think that those are two badass albums, but those guys were so raw. They were, in, their, in my opinion, even though they were still badasses, it was like they were still developing. And you get to hear stuff like God Hates Us All and Repentless and oh, even this other one, it's um, uh, Christ Illusion uh, yeah. and even I World love, Painted yeah. Blood. I love World Painted Blood. Man, you could tell those guys that they grew as musicians, they they were able to polish things out. Yeah. You know, it wasn't so raw, even though you got to love the raw stuff from back in the day. Yeah, but Hell Awaits is like my favorite Slayer record. It's awesome. Just because it's It'd just be so, badass, though, if you could hear Hell Awaits <clears throat> with the same quality as they just did their, yeah. their last album with. Yeah, no. yeah, that would be nuts. That would be great. Yeah, I don't think you could ever reproduce it. But, yeah. <laughs> because some of that stuff, you know, back then in the day, because, um, you know, I love playing Slayer on guitar. I love, you know, it's always been one of the, probably the most challenging thing for me to try to cover leads or try to learn leads off of is being Slayer. And that's because, you know, for the longest time, those guys... They had a general approach at stuff, and they just winged it. All right, go. I'm in this key, and I'm going. Yeah. And so you, they never really did, you know, you, you could hear them play the same solo five times. It would kind of be in that general area of it, but it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen did a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. You hear that guy play live. I mean, since he recorded Eruption, have you ever heard Eddie Van Halen actually play it? The way it was recorded, yeah, exactly. never. He's never done it like that. That's it. Live, no, it's kind of like that. It's in that area. He comes, he does all sorts of different things in them. But you know, that's a lot of the way Slayer was. Is you know, until recently, now you can hear them where they're actually writing solos. Where you know, ninety ninety five percent of the time they're doing the same exact things. But back then, they're doing Rain and Blood and Hell Awaits. Shit, <laughs> they were all over the place. Yeah. It yeah. sounded badass. Yeah. 
you can't copy that stuff. You can't, you know, I have a lot of guitar players over the years will say, well, how did you learn how to do that? Well, you're not going to because, you know what, Jeff Hanneman can't even play it the same way twice. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds cool every time he does it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, so Slayer, I think Dave Mustaine's a badass. Yeah, he is. Um, I like their earlier stuff that, you know, um, have a hard time getting into the newer stuff. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not drawing me in for some reason. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I tried to break down some rust in peace, like slow it down, you know, and like, and just the things that guy was doing in that, on that record, like for me, more than anything, I mean, it was it was it wasn't your normal just fast power chords. I mean, I, I just can't even. And then he would sing at the same time, right? Doing that shit, I I can't even fathom begin to fathom how how you would do that. Well, you, it, that's you don't, and that's why you can either do it or you or, or you can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't. I I, I can't do it. Save no, save my life now. If I was singing country or blues, I can do it. I'm not a very good singer, so I'd suck at it, but I can still do it. I can't do metal. Um, my brother struggled with it for a while and still struggles with it sometimes. So you were talking about writing earlier. A lot of our basic rhythms that our vocals are over, we literally write those so that he can sing over them. Gotcha. There's certain things he can sing over, and there's certain things he can't. So, and I would guess that there's a lot of bands out there that have to do the same thing because there's just certain things that you can just naturally do, and certain things that just go against the grain, and it ain't fucking happening. Yeah. And if you can't reproduce something live, best not to be recording it like that, you know, in yeah. general, anyway. Uh, but uh, um, Dave's. Uh, James Hetfield's the same way, though. That guy plays some insane rhythms and sings. Yeah. I so it's can. a disconnect. They're not, obviously, you can't think about two things at once. It's just happening. It's yeah. just something they're feeling. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're getting that style and <clears throat> that they're just doing them. They do, they're do. they doing, they're doing what they do. Yeah. I went to see uh, Dropkick Murphy's at Kane's Ballroom and a ska band called The Interrupters opened. And this, this guy, this bass player, is doing these walking bass lines, ska, mm-hmm. jumpy, all this stuff all over the place, singing the exact same time. I mean, it just, I mean, that's not my most favorite kind of music, but it just blew my mind. Les Claypool. Oh, yeah. That's another <laughs> God. What the fuck? I mean. Yeah, the only thing you can say to that is, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dude, really? <laughs> that, that, to me, that was always like a thing of like, that must just be somebody who's so fucking talented because it was just like naturally in them. Because I couldn't imagine, even with a million hours of practice, being able to do that. It just is like so far away to me. It's insane. You know, somebody like Les Claypool. You know, I heard a rumor, and you guys may be able to substantiate this. I don't know. I heard a rumor that he tried out for Metallica, and Metallica said, No, you're too good. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. on there, like, behind the music. Or oh, something. was it? Okay, I haven't something. seen any. Because, such a you know, they're, they're both Bay Area, and they're, they're actually pretty good friends. 
And so he was just like, they're like, I just, you know, when they were doing auditions, he, they said, I'll just come out and jam with us. You know, and he's like, oh, okay, you know. And he kind of knew that he wasn't going to get it, but why not, you know? And Oh, yeah. Why not jam with, uh, who, yeah. who the hell wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. And, but, and, and, the, and the bass player they got right now is an awesome bass player. Yeah, sure, he is badass. But he knows his place. Mm-hmm. He knows yeah. his place, and he knows what his job is, and that's what he does. And, that's right. And I would do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to fuck that gig up. No. What did he get, like a million-dollar sign-on bonus? Just to, yeah. just to join? And Newstead's in the background going, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> You're giving him a what? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And Newstead's a bad. I love Newstead. Yeah. I, I really do. I think, you know, I, I, this is... Probably pissed a lot of people off, but he's my favorite bass player from Metallica. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't, it's not like I disliked anybody else. I just, mm-hmm. Newstead's, he's got that edge, man. Yeah. You know, uh, he really does. He was but, solid. But, you know, I think that their original bass player had the same effect on Metallica that David Lee Roth had on Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And that when Cliff died, they became a different band to an extent. You think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, they definitely did. So the only variable that was removed out of that whole thing was Cliff. Yeah. I, you know, I always read stuff about how he was uh, really into like classical music and, and REM and theory and stuff. And it kind of makes you wonder like, what they would have sounded like, you know, what the Black Album have happened, would he have been okay with that? I mean, I think they would have changed anyways. Well, we get we grow up, man, and honestly, I, I, I was joking a little bit, but I'm not joking, because this is going to be a really weird scenario I'm going to give you, because I've lived it. When I said it's man music, mm-hmm. what defines a man? Yeah. Testosterone. Man, when you're younger, that shit is through the roof. You're just fucking... Yeah. And it's just pure freaking testosterone. Well, as we get older, it's dropping off. It's dropping off. I'm not ashamed to say it, but I got to take testosterone once a week. Yeah. If not, when a dog dies in the movie, I might find a fucking tear in my eye. (laughs) 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 And that's no bullshit. (laughs) But when I'm on... When I'm on my medication, yeah, I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> now, that it, it, and I, I, I found that with myself, man. Back when I was 16, 18 years old, man, if it wasn't time period, brutal, hard, just in your face, then I'd fight you over it. Yeah, literally. Yeah, you know, and because yeah. um, I started getting older, though, I was like. Oh, I kind of like this now, you know, and you know, you just and, and as older I get, the more man, I'm, well, I'm thinking about possibly doing a one of the guitar parts for a Dark Side of the Moon project. Yeah. You asked me that 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk about that with Cliff. Metal is so defined by the fan base. And usually it's a younger fan base. I mean, those the, man, they're rabid, they, you know, and they're loyal. They're 
most music, your fans aren't that loyal. They're, hey, hey, yo, oh, this this is kind of cool. I'm into that right now. The next week they're into something else. They done forgot about that guy or that band or whatever. Or her. We've got to be genderly correct now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, metal fans, they're loyal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a Slayer fan back from 87 Chances are they're a Slayer fan now. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're loyal to that. They really are. And they'll go and they'll support it. You know, Slayer can come even with one of their albums that didn't do so well. Those fans are still going to show up and they're going to be right down front. And they're going to be, oh, Slayer. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't see that with a lot of other music. But what happens is, is I think that through the media, People have been very careful to not admit or say things that could damage that, well, what's the word I'm looking for? The image that the fan has for the band, mm-hmm. especially with metal. Because, yeah. man, those, those, especially the kids, man, the kids, man, they, they live, breathe, and sleep and eat this shit. Mm-hmm. And they're just, ugh. And, you know, um, all of a sudden, they've got this image in their mind. Now, all of a sudden, you tell them Cliff Burton likes classical music. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. What have you done to me? You know? <laughs> and now they got a different image of the guy. But what most people don't get, as a fan, somebody that's not a musician, that hasn't actually tried to do some of this stuff, is without those foundations and without having those influences... You can't do a lot of the metal mm-hmm. in general. Now, I'm not talking five finger death punch, okay? But when you start getting into Slayer <laughs> and you start getting into Megadeth and you get into freaking Iron Maiden, you got to be an accomplished musician to pull it off yeah. in general most most of the time. You're going to have every once in a while, you know, your, your you know, oddball that can just pop up and three years later, boom. Yeah. yeah. But you don't find that very often. Yeah. So you. you you usually find really accomplished metal musicians, their influencers are radically different than what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be heavily influenced with a lot of jazz stuff and a lot yeah. of classical. Randy Rhodes, big classical guy. Um, but what happened was it's a lot of these guitar players, when they do classical, they end up with melodic major type pretty stuff where you get the guys like Mustaine, you could tell a guy's got a lot of classical in him, but he took he chose the darker side of it. Mm-hmm. You look at listen to Ingve. That's all pretty melodic shit. Yeah. Is he a badass? Yeah, no one can touch the guy. Okay. Enough said. Now you go back to what actually sounds good. <laughs> You see what I'm getting? Yeah. You see where I'm coming oh, yeah. from? And you know, Metallica did a lot of that. You know, you know, I haven't heard what James was influenced by, but that you can tell that guy's got a huge classical Spanish classical guitar influence. He just didn't come up with it one day. Yeah. Naturally, I mean, he had to have been influenced by. Listen to a lot of those acoustic intros he's done. Mm-hmm. That's all classical type stuff. Yeah. But what he did was. Instead of going pretty and melodic with it, they go dark and diminished. Yeah. You know, it's dark. 
And that's what I like. Yeah. A minor key. Yeah. Yep. And it's not even just a minor key. They even take it a step further and they just, again, um, they break the rules. They get, a, they, they, they know the rules enough to be influenced by it. And then they just say, you know what? Fuck all the rules. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And I think what it, I think it's a disconnect because when you learn all that stuff, you learn through, you, you develop a muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'll, I'll use Ingbe again as an example. That guy's got one hell of a muscle memory, but everything, he's, everything he writes sounds the same. It's the same shit. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's because of muscle memory, because when you write while you're playing, you write what your muscles have remembered, those patterns, everything that you're doing. And I believe that you get the guys, and I and I don't know this. I haven't heard it, but I've been I've done this long enough to where I've come to these conclusions, and they're logical to me. And that I I feel like that guys like Mustang, guys like Hetfield, Slayer, these guys, they write the melodies in their head. Now they're not bound to their muscle memory, and then they figure out okay. And I do that a lot. I, I go I try to write most of the stuff that I do in my head, and then I figure out how to play it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not influenced by, okay, well, I've learned these five scale patterns and I play the shit out of them back and forth and now all my solos sound like they're in these scale patterns. Yeah. That's what happens. So you write the shit in your head, then you figure it out. You're switching it up. You're keeping everything guessing. Right. And you go by what's sounding good to you and you're creating a sound instead of, you know, um, connecting dots in music theory, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever like? Do you ever do that just intentionally to be different? All the time. Okay, that's the main thing I struggle with. Writing music sucks. Like it's it doesn't suck. It's hard because everything. Travis Stewart, guitar ex guitar player for six years dead, and even I think even heard my brother say this, but um. You know, I can I can quote them both by saying everything that you've listened to has been done before. Yeah. There's only so many damn notes. Okay. There's only it's it. You're limited to the notes that you have. There's only so many damn rhythms. It's all been done one way, shape, or form. So it's extremely difficult to write any goddamn thing out there that sounds different. Every musician out there that, I don't care what genre it is, if you're writing music, you're struggling. This is a big struggle. This is the main thing, the main problem that you face. Yeah. How do you write shit that doesn't sound like something? I don't know. I mean, I guarantee you that that the songs that I've got recorded somebody's going to listen to it and go, well, that kind of sounds like that. Some of the shit they say it sounds like blows my mind about, cause I'm like, well, I don't hear that at all, but <laughs> still you get it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. When you listen to new music, what's the first thing you do? You make a comparison. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I kind of get to, if I've never, if I don't know what genre or what type of rock or metal it is, that's the very first thing I try to figure out. And this sounds like this kind of metal, or this sounds like this kind of rock, you know. This is where 
I, I really, really, really suck, and I cannot figure it out. Yeah. It's genres. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. People always like, well, what kind of music do you play? Metal. It's hard metal. I don't know. Um, I've had this conversation with, you know, um, Turbo from the cat down the city. You know, these when you get to talk to these radio guys, mm-hmm. now, they know genres like, it, it, it genres on the next level. It's like, yeah. I do, what it, I've never even heard of half the stuff they come up with. But evidently they're real and they exist. Mm-hmm. Um, with me, it's rock, hard rock, metal and heavy metal, and then death metal. And I associate death metal with the vocal style and obviously, in my opinion, the best thing about death metal is the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've never really been a big death metal fan. There's some of it that I just really can get into. The original band, Death, mm-hmm. that album, Leprosy, yeah, man, I can get into that. And some of the stuff nowadays, I just have a hard time. And I'm really good friends with a lot of guys that do death metal. Um, just have... It, I'm, at, I'm like disconnected or something from it. For some reason, I'm just not. It's, you know. And we get put on a lot of shows with death metal guys. Yeah. There's some there's some locals out there that are that are very different and really good. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Malicide. Yeah. I've seen that name. Man, they're, they kind of remind me of a weird Iron Maiden-ish death metal because they've got that they've got melody man those guys they're definitely different mm-hmm. um, and um, to me I guess for death metal for me to get into it it's got to be something like that it's got to be something a little different it just can't be straightforward in your face just I yeah. just don't you know um, but that doesn't take away from the hard work those guys put in to, you know, because it's almost the way I have to, the way I kind of come to terms with death metal. Usually when I listen to bands, you listen to everybody in the band at least one time or another. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Bass line. Well, that's a badass drum lick. Oh, that's really cool. Guitar sound. And well, that's I can, that's badass vocals. Almost look at death metal as a chord. Yeah. One note in the chord doesn't do it, but when you play all the notes, like on the piano or guitar, it makes one sound. Yeah. So I almost look at it like that with death yeah. metal is that everyone in the band is doing something that's making a sound that all together create this. Yeah. And I look at it that way instead of... And by looking at it that way, I just tend to appreciate it more. Yeah. But Well, <clears throat> earlier you said... Metal and heavy metal. I mean, what 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 to you is metal and what's heavy metal? Well, and that's weird because to me, <laughs> metal is harder than heavy metal. Okay. Because I've all because growing up, Van Halen was considered heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. Well, when true. I was in high school, Van Halen was heavy metal, and then when I looked at bands harder than that, well, that was just metal. Yeah. Now again, this is Andy's weird fucked up logic. Of, <laughs> You know, <laughs> growing up in Edmond, Oklahoma, so 
Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't privy to all the, yeah. you know, it was, but yeah, um, we always, everybody, even on the cat, they referred to Van Halen as heavy metal. They referred to ACDC as heavy metal. Dude, that was hard shit back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. God dang, when you listen to uh, Intr- Intruder, yeah. which is the intro for Pretty Woman, which is oh, yeah, fucking yeah. stupid, yeah. but in my opinion, <laughs> even, I'm sure Roy Orbison loves him to death yeah. for doing it, but um, that intro, Intruder, man, that's dark as hell. Yeah. And it, yeah you know, it they did, you know, and the stuff that they played on the radio was just poppy bullshit. But you flip those, going back, dating people again, you flip those albums over to the B side. Yeah. And Van Halen did some pretty dark well, shit. Even like Unchained, you know, was heavy yeah. as shit, you know. That was drop D, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that brings up another point that really got me fucked up in life. <laughs> Again, we go back to there's no YouTube. Okay. There's no internet where I can go. I can get on this phone right now and go, How to play Unchained. Yeah. And it'll show me, I can set this up and like it'll show me step by step. It'll show me the tuning, the whole bit. Okay. They didn't have that back in my day. Yeah. So unless you were lucky enough where you know, Guitar Player Magazine or Hit Parader or something decided to do a tablature for it, which nine times out of ten was only about 80% correct. Yeah. Because you got some dude that can play guitar sitting in the studio, listening, slowing it down, trying to figure out what Eddie's doing, because Eddie ain't writing this tab out. No. Okay. He had no fucking clue that you could down go drop one string a half step. I didn't even know that was possible back then. Another thing, when I learned Lay It Down by Rat, because I think that's one of the coolest fucking guitar licks ever. I love those chords. I love the picking, the chords. Um, I learned it in standard tuning. (laughs) And I didn't know until years later that Warren dropped that thing down. Um, And then, same thing with ACDC. Yeah. I had no clue that they, that Angus Young and those guys and his brother were playing open fucking chords yeah. with a lot of that shit. I learned all my ACDC regular bar chords. Wow. Then years later, had to come back and go, okay, now they're actually doing this. And yeah, I guess I should turn my distortion way down so you can actually hear those chords now. Because mm-hmm. um, back in the day, it was like, turn everything on 10 and go. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the mid, turn it to fucking zero and go. You know? Yeah. This bass up, mid zero, treble fucking up, gain all the way up, crank the fuck out of it. Mid zero, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and it took me years to figure out that. (laughs) No, just a little bit. I'll even do a little bit. I played with my mid range on about six now. Really? You have to. Nice. Which is something, again, that you learn. You have these stages that you go through as a musician. We'll just talk guitar. Yeah. I don't know how far you made it, but you usually start with an old piece of shit acoustic. Yeah. So you're learning your G chord, your C chord, your D chord, your E chord, your A chord. And because you can't fucking play anything else but 
country with those chords, you learn a couple of fucking country songs <laughs> and maybe smoke on the water on one string or some bullshit, right? So you start with that thing and it's just honking, you know, hard to play damn thing. And you graduate to, oh, I'm going to go get an electric. So you go get a piece of shit electric, right? Which is, and you also have a piece of shit amp because you're not going to go spend fucking six grand on this shit because you're just starting, right? It's like, oh, this shit will work. <laughs> you follow me, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you got a piece of shit guitar and a piece of shit amp and now you turn it on and it, now it totally sounds like shit because you're hearing all this noise that you never heard with your acoustic. So you learn how to play that. Yeah. Okay, I'm cleaning it up. I don't have all this extra string noise and bullshit going on. And, you know, after a year or two, you're getting that kind of sounding good. So you kind of upgrade on equipment. Now, this is the way it normally goes. You get a better guitar. You get a better amp. Now you've learned a little bit about, you know, sound and whatnot. So now you got some equipment that's good enough to, I guess, we can playing a fucking band because I'm in my bedroom and I'm playing with the stereo and it fucking sounds really fucking good. I'm doing good now. I'm ready to play with the band. Then you get in the band and you realize this sounds like total shit. So now you got to learn how to play and sound good with a band. Yeah. Well, one of the bigger problems that you have is, is each one of those stages, it's like you're having to learn how to play an instrument all over again. Because you go from the acoustic, now you know how to play guitar, but you go to electric, now you got to figure out how to make the electric sound good yeah. with all the extra noise. Then you play by yourself, and you realize, okay, I'm good by myself, but now i got to learn how to sound good with other people. And then when you start playing with other people, now you introduce something that you've never experienced before, and that is competing for different frequencies. Mm-hmm. Because you only have so many frequencies the human ear is going to hear. Well, now you got a bunch of guys, and usually in a practice room, you don't really pay attention to a lot of it because it's all noise because you got all this loud metal come in a room about this size. So it's really fuck. You don't hear a lot of the details. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, we want to play shows. Now you get on a stage, and they're going to amplify this shit through a PA. Now, competing for all those frequencies matter. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the biggest thing that most metal guitar players do right out of the gate is they're trying to make their guitar sound like what they're hearing through their stereo. Which is, that sound has gone through a ton of editing and equalization processes and compressions and mastering and all that. To get to that point, it didn't come out of that guy's amp sound like that. Yeah. And that's what people fail to realize when you play live, you, your sound, you end up having to adjust your sound for live. As soon as you turn your mid-range down, you yeah. can't hear it. Have you guys ever stood out in the crowd and watched the metal band and go, I can't hear that fucking guitar player. Yeah. But you get in front of his amp, walk by the stage, you get in front of his amp and peel your fucking face off. Yeah. But why? when you get out in front of a house, well, why can't you hear that guy? Yeah. Well, most of the time, it's because he's got his med scooped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
all the other frequencies on the stage are canceling that out, you know. And when you get into like basic recording one on one stuff, you, you know, they start teaching about sine waves. You guys know what sine waves are? Yeah. You all, a sine wave, like this, say this line right here. That's that's the zero mark. Then you got negative below it, positive. That that sound wave is single sound waves, sine wave. It comes up and down. You ever seen that? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, what happens is you can take two two sine waves, and when you move them apart, there's space in between them. You can hear them, but as soon as you take both those positive or negative humps and you move them to where all of a sudden they match each other, guess what you hear? Hmm. Nothing. Cancels it out. So the closer those sound waves get together, they're canceling that frequency out. So when you're up there and you got your mid-scoot, and you're competing in the same frequency range as everything else, you end up canceling a lot of that sound out so you don't fucking hear it. Yeah. So you have to do the exact opposite of what your gut's telling you to do, and you got to crank the mid-range. Now all of a sudden... Everyone can hear you, and it sounds good. And you know what? You can, everyone from Eddie Van Halen to James Hetfield to Kerry King will tell you, eventually, they learn that. Now, where that doesn't really come into play a lot, Dimebag scooped a lot of his mitts, but he could get away with it because he was the only guitar player up there. Okay, where you start running into a lot of that's when you got two guitar players. Scoop your mid, you fuck. Yeah. No one can hear shit. And you know when when you're starting out and you're just playing out, it's you want to do that because just like you said, when you're in your bedroom, it just sounds cool. Mm-hmm. You know, to take it down to like two or three, and it makes it easy to play. Yeah, yeah. it's like putting power steering on your guitar because man, <laughs> yep. you can hit those pinch harmonics and the false harmonics and all yep. that with ease. That's one of the you know. Dimebag Daryl is probably the best at getting those false harmonics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, for the, for a long time, that guy played digital amps with the mid-scooped, and it's a lot easier to get those sounds. Like It's not taken away from his talent because he's a badass. Yeah. The guy can do shit most people can never be able to do. Yeah. And invented a lot. But um, it just comes from years of doing it. And I talked to a lot of the younger bands, which is crazy. Because I go to these shows, and a lot of the bands that we're playing with are, man, I got kids their age. (laughs) And it's weird. And usually you get the same questions from people, and most of them are, you know, from me, or for me anyway, or from the other guitar players. How do you do this? How do you do that? And you know what? You try to tell them, and it's not what they want to fucking hear, so it goes through one ear and out the other. Eventually, they're either going to get it or they don't, yeah. you know. And when it comes to playing live, you've got to get it figured out. Because what you're doing in your bedroom and what you're doing in the practice room is not going to happen when you get on the fucking stage. Yeah. And the biggest deal is, it's just like we were talking a little bit ago about uh, the venue shrine here in Tulsa. Um, obviously... For one reason or another, they had a bad night with sound for some of the bands. That fucking happens, man. Mm-hmm. And as a musician, what really you you know where, where I can really tell guys that have done this for a while and guys that are brand new, when you hear them come off the stage, 
all the sound fucking sucked. I couldn't hear myself and blah, blah, blah. I have not played a show yet where everything was perfect on stage where I could hear every damn thing. You've got to become that. You've got to be able to just go off of, you got to take what they give you and go with it. And, uh, you know, it's just it. Especially if you're not a head, if you're not a big national headliner. And even those guys, I'm sure, have issues. But, you know, we were talking earlier about those guys get to come in several hours earlier and work with the sound crew for an hour and get a really good sound check. Well, even with that, I'm sure they have issues. But if you're not those, if you're not that band, you, you need to learn how to play with shit. Yeah. Because that's what you're going to be playing with. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's a little different. I've come up with, you know, like with me, I just tell them, turn the fucking monitors off. I want to fucking hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are like, how do you play without monitors? Well, how do you play with monitors that are blasting your, you know, shit in your face that you don't want to hear and you come in and you got a sound guy back there that don't give a fuck and is not paying attention to you anyway. You got to play regardless. Yeah. So what I found out is it's easier to just turn all my monitors off and I'll just find a place where I can hear me and the fucking drums. And hopefully when you're playing a bigger stage, like we play the Diamond, that PA is so damn loud out front anyway, I can pretty much hear what's going on out front. And you just go off of that. At the same time, I don't think the fans know the difference. I don't think the fans know the difference between, uh, you know, a five finger death punch song and a, you know, a Slayer song. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, uh, because they'll, they'll go, he's, you know, what Volbeat. I actually like some of what Volbeat does. Mm-hmm. But, and I've heard people talk about what a badass guitar player he is. And I'm like, well, he's wrote some cool riffs and some cool grooves, but. That's what you think a cool, a badass guitar player? I don't know. Really? You know, because. Yeah. Where's that? Yeah. You know? Well, I know that, you know, I know that uh, their lead guitar player is Anthrax's old lead guitar player. But But they don't really do any leads. They don't do, they don't do leads like that, which I always thought that was kind of weird, but. Well, here's another good example, Def Leppard fans. Vivian Campbell is a fucking ridiculously good goddamn guitar player. Go watch Def Leppard live and see him play for the first time and you'd never fucking know that. Yeah. Because I remember going back and watching the, you know, the Dio stuff. Like, oh my God, God. This guy's fucking badass. Yeah. You know, but it's all filled. Stand up and shout. Listen to that fucking song. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about badass guitar playing. And... You listen to him with Def Leppard. And I get it. Def Leppard's awesome. I love Def Leppard. If I had the opportunity to be a fucking rhythm guitar player for Def Leppard, I would do it. Not not even a question. <laughs> but you got a freaking badass on guitar not doing anything. Yeah. Nah, I've heard a person wouldn't know that. Definitely. Well, so on this show, um, and I don't know anything about child bite. At all. They're like, uh, I really liked them because we saw this show, the first leg of it, in, what was it, I don't know, in the fall? I don't know. Or the, I don't know, February or something? In January. Ar- January in Arkansas. And they're really like, uh, they're kind of like organic, you know, they're like clutch, but like a little more, a little more manic. Like punk. Huh? Kind of punk. Kind of, yeah, more, clutch was more of a punk edge, you know. 
Uh, and the singer guy, he's kind of crazy, you know. Um, so, but and I, I don't know if they still are, but they were on Phil's record label, that Housecore. Oh, cool records. Cool. So, and then you know, Battlecross is great. We know that, you know. <clears throat> so yeah, those guys could do shows like this, damn near on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, the locals, though. Um, well, we've got us, and you've got Coma Trip. You guys know those guys? Uh-uh. Coma Trip is at their southern Oklahoma. Those guys have been around off and on for a while. Those guys are really good. Um, all the locals are really good. Um, yeah. We were talking about the other local smoke offering. Smoke offering. And every time I've seen those guys, we played with them. We played with Smoke Offering at Soulfly. And again, those guys are just on top of their shit. And um, the same thing, we played with them with Crowbar in Oklahoma City at um, Under Alley. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, yeah, that yeah. One. yeah, we were yeah. there. Yeah. And again, air conditioner was out. You guys remember that place was fucking hot. Yeah. Yeah. You had like 400 fucking people in a fucking club that I think the mass capacity is what, 200? <laughs> <laughs> Which is badass. I would rather play an overcapacity small club than a large venue with 500 people in it. You get 500, you get 300 people at the fucking diamond and it's like, well, it's kind of cool, but it you don't have that same effect till you get you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand people in that place. Or you get a couple hundred people in Thunder Alley and god damn you got energy. Yeah. 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 Um but um Kyle, that's his name. Yeah. Man, that dude's up there with a mask on. And it, I, I believe it's one of those masks that go over his whole head. Yeah. yeah. It does yeah, he made it, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like Dude, I'm dying. I got a turbo fan, but I played in this. Honestly, this is the God's honest truth because we went on after after Kyle did. Okay. And the problem with me being as old as I am, I'm 48. Um, I got tendonitis and I've got arthritis. I have to warm up. 35 to 45 minutes before I play, or I can't, I can't play the fucking music. I can't play my own music. Yeah. Worth a shit. Wow. So I'm literally 30 to 45 minutes before I play, I am running scales. I'm warming up. Takes me that long. I have to play for every bit of a half hour before I can do what it is I do. Um, you know, several years ago, I just sit down, boom, busted out. You know, now that ain't fucking happening. Um, I've got to, I got to warm up. So I miss a lot sometimes of the, uh, the bands that I'm going on after, Mm -hmm. but in places like Thunder Alley, you know, you don't have a lot of separation. So I was, you know, off to the side, you know, and what I was doing, I'll do a lot of this sometimes. I'll listen to what they're playing and I will 
play patterns along with what yeah I'll jam with them they don't yeah. even know it but I'm fucking jamming with them <laughs> so I'm jamming with Kyle Kyle don't even fucking know I'm jamming with them but uh, um, yeah I'm kind of watching him I'm warming up at the same time and um, never really dawned on me till I got on stage and I got through like that second song and I'm like fixing to have a fucking heat stroke yeah I got a regular fan behind me blowing and one of them turbo fans blowing right in the front. And all I could think of was, how in the fuck did Kyle do this shit? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't he take the mask off? He did. I think he did about half, yeah, after a few songs, but still. I know. That was brutal going through the first few. I was like, oh shit, dude, (laughs) man. You know, and you think about bands like Kiss who are wearing full makeup. Yeah. You know, most people don't realize how hot it gets underneath. Nowadays, we get a little spoiled on the bigger shows because the bigger venues will have LED lights and they don't put off the heat. Mm-hmm. But goddamn, them old can lights, man, son of a bitch, it's like standing underneath the, the sun, man. <laughs> they just radiate, you know. And, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot to be said for a lot of them old timers and you know I say old time they're old timers now but back then yeah. chick how did their makeup not run yeah I know oh I'm a weirdo this is the shit that I think of <laughs> how the fuck did Gene Simmons keep the fucking black shit out of his eyes yeah how did he not look like he just went through a bokaki fest <laughs> <laughs> well I you know <laughs> did they <laughs> I, I've, I've got to think that there was Certain kind of makeup that was non-runny or something. Who knows? You would think porn stars would wear that shit then. You know? It's like, hey, I'm going to do a bukkake thing. I think I want the waterproof mascara. <laughs> right. Sometimes, though, that's part of the uh, the allure is the fucking... <laughs> well, you're one of those sick freaks, man. <laughs> I set him oh, up for that shit. one. Right. <laughs> you knew he'd bite him that <laughs> He's like justifying it and shit. Now. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm looking at the totally artistic side of it all. Hey, I am what I am. I am what I am. There you go, Andy Papadopoulos from Archon. Very thankful to him for spending the time here talking to us, and I hope you kept listening. You're still listening. That was a long one. Yeah. Yeah, if you hung out, thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. And like you mentioned way a long time ago in uh, the early part of this, you know, some whiskey and some beer. So, Mike DiPatrillo, if you're listening, I introduced Andy to Jesse James Honey Whiskey, and he thought it was quite amazing, just like me, you, and Jason did. That's that's right. That's right. (laughs) Coming from a guy that does not like flavored whiskeys. That's true. That's good shit. Yeah. Well, I mentioned this earlier, but get on YouTube and subscribe to us. We talked about all that Van Halen stuff. You can listen to our every album in a row that we talked about from Van Halen or any other bands we've done. We've got Motley Crue and Kiss coming soon. We've also got podcast coming soon featuring Less Than Human. Yes. And Less Than Human, speaking of Oklahoma City, is also going to be playing the Diamond next week, which is May 18th. It's a Thursday night. They are opening up for Mushroom Head. Yeah. This is going to be a killer show. They've already opened for Mushroom Head here in Tulsa. Doing it again. They fit that bill perfect. And if you're in Tulsa area, hit these guys up for tickets and go down to Turnpike, Diamond Ballroom. It's the first time they're playing there. They're excited about it. You'll hear all about that in that episode. And speaking of that, we're also going to have free tickets. Yes. Courtesy of them to the show. Stay tuned. Yeah, so be on the lookout. That's why you need to follow us on Facebook, because that's where all that stuff happens. And get your grubby little paws on some mushroom head tickets. Yes. 
And then besides that, we've got an episode coming featuring Custom Black, a stoner metal band out of Kansas City. Yes. We've got an episode featuring Chris Taylor, who runs DMG Productions, who's putting on a dark side stage in the Rocklahoma campgrounds this year. Rocklahoma is now two weeks away. Yep. So you're going to hear that sooner than later. So be on the lookout for that. Good. And then, of course, we've got Rocklahoma. We've got some other stuff lined up. Oh, man. Yeah, we got we got all kinds of stuff. We can't really talk about it yet, though. Yeah. Just, you know, hold on. Bear with us. Yeah, but I think there'll be some good, some good guests coming soon. I think so as well. All right. Well, I think if, if you're still listening, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. here we're at, what, probably 240 by now. We did it. We made this journey together, and we're all the better for it. This Thank is officially the longest yes. episode of the Thunder Underground podcast yet. One, two, three. There you yes, go. Yes, that's right. Uh, Travis T. Davis, Devin LaCour, Sid Falk, eat your heart out. Yeah. <laughs> this is the longest episode. All right. Until next time. Let's say 750 tickets. What's that? 20 bucks? Yeah, you're good. Man. He's faster than my calculator. <laughs> I can't even, I'm an idiot. How, how do you do that? That's great. Oh, no. It's always been good with math. Thunder Underground, y'all.